oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, we got a darn good y'all show here on this middle of the week edition. Let me tell you what you got here. We've got an ACC report coming your way. If you want to know what's going on in the Atlantic Coast Conference, Jonathan Lifite, 247sports.com. He is in the corridor and waiting to come out. And he'll have his report later this hour. We also have other sports news that we'll tell you about, including a big kind of shocker there at the buzzer in the NBA on Tuesday. We'll let you know about all of that fun stuff. Plus, we have news headlines that we'll be getting to this hour, as it looks like the Republicans have somewhat of a little bit of a backbone in Washington, D.C. They're able to somehow block this voting bill that was proposed. The For the People Act will give you the latest from Washington, D.C. Also, 23 states have filed a Supreme Court brief in support of Kentucky's Attorney General and his pursuit there in Washington, D.C. I'll let you know more about that. In Jackson, Mississippi, atheists suing to remove the words in God we trust from Mississippi's license plates, and that actually just got stuck on Mississippi's rather ugly state flag that was passed and put into effect here in 2021. We'll find out what's going on with that case out of North Carolina, out of uh, Mississippi. In North Carolina, a bill raising the minimum age to marry is still not quite official. The minimum age in North Carolina proposal is for you to be 16 years old. So I guess right now you could be 15 years old. I, I don't even know how far down it goes, but yeah, they're looking to maybe change that. In North Carolina, we'll give you the latest. A couple of Martin Luther King-related stories here in the news. A couple of Walt Disney stories in the news, including 250 alligators removed from Disney's Florida properties in the last couple of years. I'll tell you why and the number and more. It'll it'll likely make you think twice about going to see the mouse. (laughs) Also, big news out of Austin, Texas. The state legislature gets together in Austin every other year, and they have taken the time this year to pass something extremely important in the Lone Star State. Texas, congratulations. Your legislature has just just designated your official Texas state mushroom. I'll tell you what it is in our headlines today. Plus, Bruce Willis is filming a movie in the heart of Dixie. I'll let you know about all that in our headlines across the southeast today. And you know what? A lot of that right there is coming in hour number one of today's Y'all Show. When we get to hour two, oh, by the way, my name's John Rawl, and I am your friend, your host, your narrator, your guide here on this three-hour journey of all things Southern. Our website is y'all.com, Y-A-L-L.com. Did you know that y'all.com is the South's homepage? And we are putting up story after story, and we're just just happy to be doing that. Check it out, y'all, y'all.com. We're also y'all.com on Facebook. Please go there and kind of subscribe or follow our page on Facebook so you'll be up to date on all of our interviews right there on Facebook. It's y'all.com. And don't forget, you can email us. It is mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. And our number, if you want to text or call, we are available for your feedback at 803-816-1170, Hour two today, we will continue on with a look of headlines across the southeast. We have a southern business report, and 
we're gonna we're t- gonna tell you here today about Bruce Willis being in Alabama. Did you realize more and more of Hollywood is finding itself in the South? And we've got news out of a rather large production going on in Clearwater and St. Petersburg, Florida. I'll share that as part of our Southern Business Report of hour number two. And then we're going to go to a comedian, a singer, a songwriter in hour number two. Kelly Lang will be dropping by. She's got a new project called Old Soul, and we're going to hear about that. We're going to hear some songs like Drive and I'm Not Going Anywhere. This is a lady who's been around country music a long time, but she's kind of branched out into songwriting. And as I said, she is a comedian. We'll get a little taste of what she's doing on that front. And she's just a darn good Southerner. A Hall of Famer, born in Oklahoma, raised in Hendersonville, Tennessee, married to a guy named T.G. Shepard. Kelly Lang will be on with us in hour number two. And we also have a quick look at Amazon's bestsellers in terms of books. We'll be getting to hour number two. And that's just two of the three hours that we'll be sitting here and enjoying conversation about Dixie here on this Wednesday Hour number three today, we've got more sports news we'll be sharing with you. And we have, courtesy of WFLA.com, the most and least in Florida. I'm sorry, you might be on the bad end of this deal. The most and least patriotic states in the country. We've just got a couple of days before the 4th of July is celebrated. And we have kind of a breakdown of where you might not want to be if you want to celebrate America's independence. There's a couple of states here in the South that are considered not so patriotic. As our friend from Sylacauga, Alabama, would say, well, golly. And I want to know what state is the dead last most patriotic state. I'll tell you, hour three. All that right here on Talk with a very, very important Southern accent. Back to our headlines of what's going on today. Senate Republicans have now blocked debate of a big-time planned overhaul of how elections are run in the country. The bill was pushed by congressional Democrats who argued it was needed to counter all of the new Republican laws that are going on within state legislatures around the country, specifically in several southern states. And Republicans able to block this For the People Act. Republicans have long opposed Democratic efforts to overhaul elections in the country and say the reforms being proposed are more about ensuring Democratic victories than fairness in voting. As Democrats introduced their overhaul two years ago before the 2020 election, and the Republicans say the massive bill amounts to a federal takeover of elections, which are run by state and local election offices, essentially federalizing elections if this were to pass. Republicans from Congress argue increased voter turnout in the 2020 election is actual proof that reforms are not needed. At the same time, Democratic legislatures have pointed to unstantiated, or rather their Republican counterparts in state legislatures have been claiming about voter fraud as a justification for tightening rules and increasing election oversight at the state and local level. But it looks like, according to what we saw on Tuesday, Republicans led by Senate Majority or Minority Leader Mitch McConnell able to keep his delegation together, and this 888-page bill may just end up fizzling away and not actually passing in a 50-50 split Senate, and perhaps that's the way this thing ought to be. 
do we really need to have federal oversight over every single election? Probably not. One more thing, the government probably shouldn't, the federal government should not be looking down on and dictating how things are run. But that's why we have Congress, and that's we'll see if things change. I still don't believe it until I know that this is completely abandoned by the Democrats' side of the aisle, that they aren't going to try to push forward some way to make this for-the-people thing a reality. Now, 23 states, mostly Republican states, filing a Supreme Court brief in support of the Kentucky Attorney General's abortion law fight. And the U.S. Supreme Court has now agreed to hear the case brought forward by Kentucky AG Daniel Cameron as he's seeking to defend a 2018 law that limited a procedure known as dilation and evacuation and was struck down by the Supreme Court in 2019. And now 23 states, nearly half the country, filing an amicus brief to the Supreme Court in support of the Kentucky Republican Attorney General's effort to defend an anti-abortion law. Again, the high court agreeing to hear this case. A federal judge ruled that it would create a substantial obstacle to a woman's right to an abortion. The law had been challenged by the state's only abortion clinic in Kentucky, that is, and it was signed by Governor Matt Bevin, a Republican at the time. Andy Bashir is now the the Democratic governor of the Commonwealth of of Kentucky, and he is defending, or rather has declined to defend the law, and it is now going before the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm trying to get a breakdown of states that are joining in. Okay, here we go. The states filing this amicus brief in support of Kentucky include Arizona, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, or rather Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Virginia. Let's try to find the common denominator here as we kind of scan the South here on this support of this abortion case or abortion-related case. Alabama's in support. They are heavy Republicans there in Alabama. Alabama, Arkansas, Arkansas's on here. Up next is Florida. Florida's got a big-time Republican conservative legislature. Georgia does. They're on here. Kentucky is the one filing this thing. Louisiana is a southern state. They're in support. Maryland is not doing this, and Maryland does have a Republican governor, but Maryland is about as light blue as you can get in terms of our purple, but purple leaning toward blue at this point. Maryland is not on here, but Missouri and Mississippi both are on here. North Carolina is not on this. North Carolina has a Democratic governor, but a Republican legislature. And I don't know who, what party the Attorney General of North Carolina is, but they're not part of this amicus brief. Oklahoma is. South Carolina is. Tennessee, Texas, both, all of those, by the way, very Republican with governors and state legislatures. And then you do not have Virginia, but you do have West Virginia. So it's pretty easy to see how this thing shapes up here with this case as states coming, or at least attorney generals representing states, coming in support of Kentucky's attorney general Cameron as he has this thing going before the Supreme Court at some point. 
The Supreme Court might likely one day get a case out of Jackson, Mississippi, as atheists are now suing to remove the words, In God We Trust, from license plates. That is the official release. It's a rather ugly-looking gold license plate that's been out a couple of years now in Mississippi. They went from a colorful kind of purple and gold-looking Biloxi Lighthouse a general plate release back around 2007 representing Mississippi coming back strong after Hurricane Katrina. That was followed by the light blue Mississippi license plate that had a B.B. King looking guitar in the middle. And now they've gone to this kind of uh, hmm, rather ugly golden license plate that has the seal of Mississippi in the middle and that seal includes the words, In God We Trust, which also the new state flag of Mississippi, the one that replaced the 1894 flag that included the Confederate battle flag in its canton. That thing, that monstrosity of a flag that's out right now, that somehow Mississippians supported at a election in November, they must have been drunk when they went and chose that thing. But yeah, that thing includes In God We Trust. It was mandated by the state legislature. When they decided to get rid of the 1894 flag, they said, well, if you're going to replace it, it's got to say In God We Trust. And they went for it. The Southern Baptists got behind it, supported it unanimously, the executive panel of Mississippi Southern Baptists, and they strong-armed state legislators in Jackson, and they got that thing passed and so long 1894 flag and so they have this monstrosity of a flag now that says in god we trust somewhere buried on there they're not alone georgia also has in god we trust on its flag lots of southern states not necessarily flags but their license plate their official state release license plate the general plate if you will one that you don't have to pay extra money for a cute little design or to support your favorite sports team a lot of those, like Georgia and South Carolina, offer these in God we trust type plates. And I can see where the atheists would not be very happy. And that's why Tuesday in Mississippi, a group filed a lawsuit to remove in God we trust from Mississippi's official ugly golden license plates. I'm sorry I'm weighing in on artwork here today of license plates and flags, but if you've seen this thing going down the highway, it's uh, somebody somebody's got a bad sense of judgment of art in my opinion in the state capital of the magnolia state this lawsuit says the state is violating residents freedoms by forcing them to display a religious phrase or pay extra for specialized plates and now we're seeing a a, a fight alan griggs is a plaintiff in this case and in a statement he said wherever i use my trailer i am forced to profess a religious idea that I do not believe. I guess he does not believe in in God we trust. And he put in his statement also, imagine a Christian having to drive around with in no God we trust or in Allah we trust. And guess what? The governor of Mississippi is Tate Reeves, and he decided to come out with a little statement about this. He put out a, a YouTube video. I'm going to try to pull this up here and most of this is visual so you may not be able to necessarily see what he's doing but here's tate reeves after this lawsuit filed or when he's trying to promote 
the new license plate, and he's putting this license plate that says, and God we trust, on his, I think, a Jeep. The, the, the governor, I think this was his first year when he first put this thing on his on his Jeep, it looks like, in the driveway outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Let's hear if we can hear the governor of Mississippi. Mississippi has a brand new license plate, but the out-of-state liberals hate it. It's because of these four words, in God we trust. The liberals from California and Washington are threatening to take Mississippi to court just because of this license plate. I'm Tate Reeves. I know Mississippi's values are Mississippi's strength. Our next governor must defend our values every single day. The strong conservative in the race for governor is oh. Tate Reeves. Okay, that is that was actually put out by him as he was running for governor and and some ways rather easily won, maybe because of that ad right there. Uh, yeah, and God we trust is in the crosshairs in the state of Mississippi here with their license plate. Florida is going to require schools to teach civics and the evils of communism. Something tells me a lawsuit is coming to Ron DeSantis soon as a result of this, as the governor will require high school students to learn about the evils of communism. Does he not know how many people in education in Florida and likely around the country aren't exactly against communism? <laughs> they, they, they consider it a... I guess a, a good thing in some cases. Not all, but it looks like a lot of people, uh, not only in education, in all walks of life these days with the Bernie Sanders of the world and, and people like that nearly becoming president. Communism and socialism seem to be in vogue in certain circles. But, yes, the Florida governor announcing new state programs on Tuesday requiring this civics and patriot, patriotism education. And also they're going to learn CPR training. Now, that's a good thing to learn as DeSantis in an afternoon briefing in Fort Myers saying once students graduate high school, some will go to college, some of them will do other things. Whatever you do, this civics is going to be relevant because you are going to be a citizen. And, again, part of this in learning to be a good citizen in high school, you're going to be required in Florida to learn about the evils of communism and totalitarian ideologies. <laughs> And, I mean, DeSantis was on a roll. He continued at Fort Myers on Tuesday. We have a number of people in Florida, particularly southern Florida, who've escaped totalitarian regimes, who've escaped communist dictatorships to be able to come to America. We want all students to understand why would somebody flee across shark-infested waters to come to southern Florida? Why would someone leave a place like Vietnam? Why would people leave these countries to risk their lives to be able to come here. Those are the words of Ron DeSantis as he's trying to help shape little Floridians and get this kind of passage of this motion to teach communism. Now, again, one of the other things that is included here as he signed a bill Monday, and it's going to be a bill now in place in Florida that will make CPR and first aid training mandatory for public school students in Florida. That bill was passed after lobbying by a South Florida man who said his life was saved by a teenager who knew CPR when he had a heart attack at a Boynton Beach restaurant back in 2019. And in early June, the Sunshine State's Board of Education 
banned CRT from public school classrooms in a okay that was that's a whole nother deal that's not CPR CRT is critical race theory but yeah they're doing that there CPR that's a a, a good thing to to teach I kind of wish that kiddies growing up at some point not only learned perhaps CPR but some of the other things that a lot of you learned in some form of scouting growing up we have so many youngsters now who've never stepped foot in a boy scout or girl scout troop and there's wonderful things you learn when you're about 10 11 12 years old if you're part of scouting and we just have lost so many and some of that is boy scouts definitely boy scouts own decision making why so many people are not involved in that and one of the things if you've ever gotten your tenderfoot badges you had to learn how to tie a square knot we have kids who don't know how to tie knots we need to kind of learn how to tie knots we need to and, and the two hitch now that that's a little bit tougher than the square knot we also need to have kids learn how to maybe fold a flag that's a good thing to do and you can also use it to play paper football <laughs> you also need to have kids learn about swimming and not, i'm not saying they got to be perfect swimmers but yeah the, swimming's a good thing i guess a lot of schools don't have pools so that'd be kind of hard to force but one other thing i think would be very noble of of kids to learn at some point in their education is to learn sign language and and some of the basics of sign language so that when they run across someone who's hearing impaired they can communicate those are good things to know in in johnny's opinion and i think maybe one day that might be coming to florida thanks to ron DeSantis or some other state that might be a little bit more proactive in trying to make a difference in the community now more state government news a bill raising north carolina's marriage age to 16 is advancing on we may have a change in the way North Carolinians get married. And again, legislation that would raise the minimum age to get married currently at 14. You can now get married in North Carolina at age 14. And they're looking to maybe push it up, not to 15, but you got to be 16 to tie the knot. Not the ones that Boy Scouts learn to tie, but the one that you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. This measure was approved unanimously by the North Carolina Senate back in May, and it would also, this new law, if it were to go and be signed by Governor Cooper, would prevent the young person's spouse from being no more than four years older than they are. 16- and 17-year-olds would need either written parental consent or a judge's order to be able to get married. But did you realize in North Carolina, if you're 14 years old, you could be married right now, at least the way the law is on the book. And not to say that you can't be in love and things work out at age 14. Y'all know the story of the coal miner's daughter. She got married around age 13 or 14 or somewhere around there. And she got married and had a bunch of kids and had a long, long marriage. But she was from Kentucky. But North Carolina looking to maybe change that. And just to give you an idea, an estimated 8,800 minors listed on North Carolina's marriage license applications from 2000 to 2015. So I guess that's 8,800 people got married under the age of 16. They were either 14 or 15 in North Carolina here in the last several years. That one, I'm sure, will be passed and signed by the governor of the old North State. We're going to take a break, come back. 
we've got some sports news across the southeast that we will share before the hour is up jonathan lifite is with 24 7 sports and the cbs sports digital network he's going to be dropping by to talk about the acc and the college world series Whoo, that Wolfpack's doing good. Virginia losing a tough one on Tuesday night to Mississippi State. We'll get his thoughts on college baseball and college football. Jonathan Lifeite, he's coming up a little bit later, but again, we've got a Southern Sports Blast up next, and we'll update you on the NBA Conference Finals. All that is up next. Down the streets, some pretty mama start breaking down with me. Start breaking down, yes, yeah, start breaking down. The stuff I got a bunch of brains out, baby. It'll make you lose your mind. I can't walk the streets now. Contemplate my mind. Some no good woman, she starts breaking down, start breaking down. Please stop breaking down. The stuff I got going to put your brain down. It'll make you lose your mind. Oh, it is y'all talk with a southern accent on a Wednesday. Good to have you back in here. Time now for a little sports action. And the action was big in the NBA on Tuesday. The Phoenix Suns escaping with a buzzer-beating victory, 104-103 to over the Los Angeles Clippers. And as a result of that dramatic victory in the Valley, the Suns now take a 2-0 series lead over the Clips in this NBA Western Conference Finals. And the winner, of course, moving on from that, to be able to go on and participate in the actual NBA Finals. But it was a thriller there with the, again, Suns with a one-point victory, a game that I think most people thought there that this one was over. The Clippers were going to be able to knot this thing up and advance on back to L.A. with a series that was tied. But, whoo, it was a close one. They got the big victory after Aiton's winning alley-oop. It was Shades of Lorenzo Charles, 1983. What was it? I got to remember all the guys on the court. I watched that game when NC State won that in 83. I was an NC State fan. Why? Because my daddy went to college there. And my daddy was asleep on that night in 1983. And I had to go wake him up and say, NC State just won the national championship. And he's like, I'm going back to bed. Uh, But I cared. I cared a lot. That was an exciting alley-oop. Lorenzo Charles, you also had, uh, gosh, there's a wonderful, wonderful ESPN 30 for 30 on that 83 alley-oop. And, uh, Oh, I know one of them's last name started with a W. It'll come to me. But enough about 83 in college basketball, the victory over five slamma jamma in Houston there in Albuquerque. Not all that far from Albuquerque is Phoenix. And DeAndre Ayton, again, with an alley-oop at the buzzer and the Suns with the 104-103 victory 
on Tuesday to take the 2-0 series lead. And Suns coach Monty Williams drew up this play, and it was worked to perfection. And the NBA's Western Conference Finals leans purple and orange right now as the Suns with the big-time escape at their home court. Now they got to go back to L.A. and to Staples Center to defend their 2-0 lead. And if they can get a victory there in Tinseltown, they will then have a 3-0 and possibly clinch this thing over the big city Clippers. Congratulations. Now, what about the Eastern Conference? Game one, they've already got two games in the Western Conference in the books. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals has not even tipped off yet. That is happening today as the Milwaukee Bucks will be at five-serve forum. They've got the Atlanta Hawks coming in. This is an 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Milwaukee time tip on TNT between the upstart Hawks and the Greek Freaks. Little, big, little, they're not little, big deer. The big male deers and the high-flying Hawks from the ATL in the Eastern Conference Finals. That, again, tipping off this evening at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central. More NBA news. On Tuesday, they had the draft. They had the lottery. I'm sorry, they didn't have the draft. They had the lottery for the draft. And lo and behold, some good news if you're a fan of Detroit sports. We don't hear too many good things coming from the Lions or the Tigers. But the Pistons just got lucky as they claimed the top spot in the upcoming NBA draft as they were the lottery winner. The Detroit Pistons. And they were followed in the lottery order. In this case, you like to be chosen. I, I don't know if they do it last to first or first to last, but in order to be in the lottery, you kind of have to miss out on the playoffs. I think that's how it works. And so you miss out on the playoffs, but you get to go in the lottery. And we've seen teams like the Pelicans. They got the first draft pick a couple of years ago. They were rewarded with Zion going to the Pels, the other teams in recent years that had missed out on the playoffs, but either got the number one pick or pretty high up there. Let's see, the Grizzlies with Ja Moran out of Murray State. They were, I think, the second pick that year. And that was that was two years ago. Last year, I know the Hornets missed out on the playoffs. They got a lottery pick. They, they weren't number one. They were pretty high up there. But they got, by the way, congratulations to Lorenzo Ball, as he was just picked the other day, the NBA Rookie of the Year out of the Charlotte Hornets. Buzz City and the NBA Rookie of the Year. And the only reason they have him is because, again, they missed the playoffs the previous year. They got a lottery pick. They were able to get pretty high up there. And he ends up being the NBA Rookie of the Year. Okay, other teams in the order that they were going are going to be in the draft, thanks to the lottery on Tuesday. First, you got the Detroit Pistons, followed by the Rockets, the Cavaliers, then the Raptors. The rest of the top ten in the order is Orlando, Oklahoma City, Golden State, which gets Minnesota's selection in the draft. I guess it was a trade or some other transaction. And a couple of other teams also in that. Some of these teams barely made it into the playoffs because they've done things a lot different this past year with the way the NBA postseason was structured, mostly because of the border being shut down in Canada and coronavirus.
Eli Manning in the news as he's joining his old employer, the New York Football Giants. He will be in business operations and a fan engagement role. The 40-year-old retired as the G-Men signal caller after the 2019 season, following a franchise record 16 seasons as the New York Giants starting quarterback. And he will work on original content development, which includes a new lifestyle series that premieres this fall. Eli Manning working for an NFL franchise. I have to wonder, is he going to be living in working in New York City the rest of his career? Is he abandoning Lafayette County and going to be a big city kind of guy the rest of his adult career? Because Eli Manning is a guy that generally runs from the spotlight. He doesn't necessarily have to be in front of a camera like his older brother or his two older brothers. Did you see where Cooper Manning and and Peyton are going to be doing some kind of collegiate game show? I don't think Eli is a part of that. But, yeah, he's now going to be in a position with the New York Giants. Remember, Eli Manning just about a year ago created a Twitter account. Prior to last year or the year before that, he never even had a Twitter account. And it was a big deal when he finally got on Twitter. And he kind of put out a tweet saying, hey, is this how this thing works? Pretty funny. A guy that's not normally all that hilarious is Eli Manning. But working for the G-Men in a business operations and fan engagement role, we wish him well. One other story out of college football. Former Texas A&M Aggies head football coach R.C. Slocum has been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the coach who was is 76 years old coached the Aggies from 89 to 2002. So a good 13-year run there at Kyle Field. At Kyle Field and coaching the Aggies back when they were part of the Big 12, he was 100 in Southwest Conference before that as he started in 89. The 76-year-old coaching legend, 123 wins, 47 losses, and two ties, and is serving as a member of the college football playoff selection right now and is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Wishing him well. He had a 865 percentage winning percentage when he was a coach in the Southwest Conference, which was the best in Southwest Conference history. That was the conference before the teams, most of them formed what we know as the Big 12. Coach Slocum is undergoing chemotherapy in College Station, where he still lives, so we wish him all the best. R.C. Slocum, head coach of A&M back in the 90s and undergoing right now a, a battle with Hodgkin lymphoma, we wish him all the best. That's a quick look at various sports news here on this Wednesday. We're not done talking sports. Stay tuned. Jonathan Lifite, he is the ACC insider for 24-7 Sports. He is standing by. He's going to talk about that very good NC State Wolfpack baseball team. And Virginia nearly, nearly advanced on to the winner's bracket after a heartbreaking loss on Tuesday to Mississippi State. We'll get Jonathan's take on the Who's, plus some football news. All that is coming up here on Talk with a Southern Accent. All that is coming up with our friend Jonathan Lifite. So hang on. ACC discussion big time is up next.
the NC State Wolfpack are in the winner's bracket of the College World Series. They have won and won and won, and they keep on winning. We're here to talk about the pack and the Virginia Cavaliers in the College World Series and other happenings around the Atlantic Coast Conference. I'm John Rawl. Welcome back into Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We are joined now by 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports Digital ACC analyst Jonathan Leifite to discuss the pack and the who's and all that's going on in ACC sports right now. And Jonathan, Elliot Avance, Wolfpack, I don't know why we're talking about them. I mean, they don't even have to play a baseball game now until Friday. So they, they've got it easy there in Omaha. Yeah, I wouldn't say they have it easy, but they have certainly uh, put themselves in a position to make it easier on themselves. They had a, um, they have uh, so far gone two and zero in the uh, in the College World Series and looking really really good. They had a huge huge game that was a, a real nail biter against uh, Vanderbilt. They won that one to nothing. That is about as as tight as you can get. And you know it, it's it's funny because this this team started out. I believe they're. Their starting record was something on the order of like five and thirteen or something like that, or it was really not good. And then they've rebounded to go something on the order of like thirty-one and nine since that time, which is a seventy-eight winning percent winning winning clip. So this is a team that's on fire, playing really well. And you know, when it comes to tournaments, it's all about you know who's playing well, and they are certainly you know in that in that mode right now. They're playing well, but they're playing well in big part because of the incredible pitching that you're seeing from Wolfpack hurlers. They shut out Vanderbilt. Now, I know Vanderbilt's supposed to be famous for their own pitching staff, but what the Pack have done shutting down Vanderbilt and, of course, even getting to Omaha by shutting down when it mattered, Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, these are, you know, two, you know, Arkansas was ranked number one in the country, uh, heading into the postseason, and Vanderbilt was uh, right up there as well. So these are two teams that are, you know, pretty darn good and got a pretty darn good legacy. I think Vanderbilt, uh, uh, they, they recently won a College World Series, and, and uh, so it's very impressive what the, what the pack is doing. You know, that, like I mentioned, they struggled to start the season, but they have turned it on and turned it on in a big way. They are the hottest team going right now in college baseball, the NC State Wolfpack out of – the ACC, and someone brought this up to me. They did not win the conference tournament in Charlotte. Of course, Duke won that one. Do you think NC State would have even made it? I mean, I'm trying to make sense of all this. A reminder to all of you who haven't been keeping up with ACC sports, and you should have, by the way, but in case you're not up on your ACC, no ACC team played midweek games this year. Is that right? Uh, no, that's not true. Okay. Um, they did play it, but they played a very limited uh, schedule of, of midweek games, and they didn't really start midweek games until I believe it was in April. Uh, so really, they you know they missed February and March. They had no mid- midweek games, um, and then they picked it up in April. And even then, the slate of of out of conference and uh, midweek games was pretty light. It was lighter than normal. You know, a lot of teams will play one or two games a week. Um, in some cases, it was zero or one per week, so it, it was a, a pretty drastic cut, you know, from from that. It, it also makes me think, you know, when you look at the performance of Virginia and NC State, if the ACC didn't shoot itself in the foot a little bit because they accentuated uh, having more conference games, where some of the other conferences 
uh, you know, the Big Ten or, or the or the SEC and Pac-12 played a lot more out of conferences and they were able to pad their records a little bit. If you look at the ACC, kind of the, the, the schedules, their strength of schedule was strong, but their records were not. But largely that's because they, they beat themselves up as opposed to going out of conference and playing some, some lighter teams. So now it's showing up in the tournament with two, two teams in the World Series and with NC State, of course, uh, looking, looking pretty darn good. And the reason I ask about the midweek action, Jonathan, is because maybe it was the not playing that extra 10, 15, 20 games that a team might play regularly in the midweek type games could be part of the reason you've got to energize NC State pitching staff. Well, to me, actually, I think uh, that those midweek games were a bit of not having those were a bit of a detriment because generally teams will use those midweek games to sort out their pitching staff and figure out who can contribute and who can't. Um, and so in the NC State's case, they struggled to start the season and it took them a while before they were able to find, you know, who, who their, their, their staff was. Um, and then coming back, you know, they're not playing so many games that I think they're, they're, they're wearing themselves out, you know, the, the teams, but, you know, you need those midweek games in order to kind of sort your pitching staff out and figure out who's going to be able to contribute on the weekends and who can't. And uh, they didn't have that, and that's and that's probably why NC State had kind of a slow start and then we're able to pick it up later. All right, as good as things have been for the Wolfpack, Virginia's had a good start, but, boy, they just let one go on Tuesday. So they're still alive. The Cavaliers are in the College World Series, but they now – are going to be trying to fight back after losing a heartbreaking 6-5 game, a game they had the lead in the eighth inning, and then MSU's bats came alive. Virginia falls to Mississippi State 6-5 to on Tuesday. Yeah, Virginia, you know, this is, a, this is another team that caught fire a little bit late. Um, they were, you know, uh, when I was, when we were headed into the last couple weeks of the season, I was like, I'm not so sure they're going to make it. Uh, and then they played well down the stretch. Um, you know, that had a reasonably good showing in the ACC tournament. And I think they made it into the tournament by the skin of their teeth and then managed to go out there and, and you know, and win, uh, and do a good job there. So, um, they, they played well, you know, coming down the stretch here. Um, you're right though. They sure let one get away against, uh, Mississippi State. Uh, that, 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 that's a, that's a tough loss to rebound from, but they've got Texas, um, on, uh, on tomorrow, uh, so they'll they'll have to rebound and kind of get it together. All right, again, Virginia in the losers bracket. They get a day today off. They'll be, as Jonathan just said, back on the diamond on Thursday. And if they win, they'll have a chance to play Friday. And if they keep winning, they'll find themselves ultimately in the college baseball national championship finals. And there's still that possibility you could have a Virginia NC State national championship. All states got to do, by the way, now is win one more game as they await what's going to happen between Vanderbilt and Stanford. They come back and play the person that escapes from that, the team that escapes from that on Friday, I think. And then if they win just one of the two games that they might have to play, they will be in the College Baseball National Championship. Yeah, they are one game away. As you mentioned, it's a double. The way the format of this is set up is there are two four-team uh, double elimination brackets, mm-hmm. and then the winners of each of those brackets will play a single game for the national championship. All right. So the ACC doing quite well. NC State doing better than anybody, frankly. But now 
Virginia is still alive. Wishing them all the best in the College Baseball World Series, ESPN, and its various channels is where you can find the action on the diamond from Omaha, Nebraska. Let's talk about a little ACC football, Jonathan. And let's talk about a guy who's going to be one of the real stars of this forthcoming season, and that is junior QB Sam Howell of the North Carolina Tar Heels. As a report has just come out kind of looking at his analysis of being a quarterback for the Heels, this is put out by CFB Film Room, and I'll just throw out a few of the data points on quarterback Sam Howell, a guy who was committed originally out of high school to FSU and then decided to join Mac Brown, and the difference has been amazing for the Carolina Blue in the performance of Howell in that offense. His completion percentage versus pressure is over 50%. He has a 10.3 average depth of throw. I know, Jonathan, you're an engineer. You know exactly what I'm talking about here. Uh the average yards per attempt for Sam Howell has been over 10 yards. The yards per attempt without a play-action pass is 10 yards. And uh, let's see, I don't have some of the basic stuff like, you know, interceptions to throw out there. But the bottom line, this guy's really good under pressure. He doesn't mind throwing the ball down the field. And as he enters his junior year in Chapel Hill, all eyes on Sam Howell. Is this a guy that can walk away with a Heisman Trophy this year? I don't know about him being Heisman Trophy this year, um, but he's certainly a very, very good quarterback. Um, you know, he, he's done well. He'll contend, I think he'll contend for, you know, uh, first team all ACC quarterback and, and maybe even, maybe even like get some votes or be in contention for ACC player of the year. I think he's one step out, kind of one tier down right now in terms of a Heisman uh, consideration. But he's certainly a really, really good quarterback, and uh, and he's he's really made the difference for uh, for UNC in terms of, of their offense um, in the college game. It is it, it is such a quarterback driven uh, you know game, and having someone like Sam Howell is, is a is a pretty big deal for uh, for any team. Jonathan, this is not a trick question. I truly don't know the answer, and part of the reason I don't know the answer is because. It has to do with conference affiliation. The last ACC Heisman Trophy winner was? Uh, I'm thinking back. The last, I, I don't recall, actually. Okay. I think it was Lamar Jackson. Was Louisville yeah. in the ACC in his senior year or whatever, his final year? Yeah, he was. Okay. All right. So he was – and they barely got in the ACC at that point. Prior to Lamar Jackson, FSU's Jameis Winston was a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in the ACC. That is correct. And before and so, Jameis, let's see here, going back in time. Don't you like to go back in time? Uh, Sure. Chris Winkie, FSU. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, yep. that, that was in 2000 was the year he won a Heisman. And – FSU's Charlie Ward, basketball yep. star. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. And yep. that, that might be – you're going to have to go even a long way back because, remember, Clemson has never won a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, the Georgia I'm Tech – sure, I'm not sure that you had one before uh, before, uh, before then. Yeah. Clemson's never won one. You don't have a Georgia Tech Heisman Trophy winner. You don't have um, – I don't – I don't know if any of the North Carolina schools have ever had a Heisman. I don't think they have. They've had good football players. 
Yeah. Now, there's been some other ones that have been in, from ACC schools, but they were not in the ACC at the time. True. Uh, for example, Tony Dorsett at Pittsburgh um, or uh, um, Ernie Davis um, from uh, from uh, Syracuse would be would be examples of that as well. You are correct. Need to work on that, Jonathan. Try to get some more Heisman's coming to the conference. You mind uh, working on that? I'll, I'll, I'll put a I'll put a on that <laughs> Jonathan, we're just a couple of months away from the start of ACC football. We can't wait. Jonathan, thank you so much for dropping by the Y'all Show for your great report. And, again, best of luck to Virginia and NC State in the College Baseball World Series. All right. Thanks a lot. You guys have a great week. All right. Jonathan Lifeite, 247sports.com is the website. We'll come back and wrap this hour up. Kobe Bennett's got a southern accent on culture. We have that next. Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. The annual Helen Keller Festival begins this Thursday, June 24th, and goes through Sunday, June 27th at Spring Park in Tuscumbia, Alabama. Celebrating the inspirational Helen Keller, the festival will feature musical acts such as the Starliners, Cadence Baker, Tasha Hill, CC Jags, Moon Tree, the Carrie Gilbert Band, Drive, Lindsay L., and Mac Powell of Third Day. Other events include a parade kickoff, the annual Helen Keller Library book sale, a car and truck show, a golf tournament, and a production of The Miracle Worker. Visitors to the festival should bring a lawn chair to most of the events, and coolers and alcohol are not permitted at Spring Park. Thursday and Sunday will offer free admission, and $5 tickets will be offered on Friday and Saturday. Children ages 10 and under will get in free. Southern Fun and more at all.com. And thank you, Kobe Bennett, with our Southern accent on Southern culture. And don't forget, they're in North Alabama. Tuscumbia is her hometown, Helen Keller who was born in 1880, died in 1968. I had no idea she lived all the way to 1968. Of course, Helen Keller, an author, a disability rights advocate, political activist, lecturer, and an Alabamian. I think she even has one of the statues in Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C. One of the two for the Heart of Dixie is for Helen Keller. I think. I should know that. Y'all think I would know everything about the South, but... You know, I didn't even know that she was born not in Tuscumbia. Helen Keller was born in West Tuscumbia, Alabama, and she lost her sight and hearing after a bout of illness at the age of 19 months. I wonder if she had any recollection of vision and hearing prior to that episode when she was just 19 months old. That would have been around 1881, just after the Civil War happened and she grew up in alabama she died at age 87 in eastern connecticut helen keller and again they're getting together in her home area of colbert county alabama here for the helen keller festival this weekend kobe thank you for letting us know that i appreciate that that's hour number one in the books we'll be right back here with a whole nother hour two and hour three is coming your way here today on the y'all show we just cover it all and we'll be right back to do it. I'm John Raw. Thanks for listening.
Part two of our three-part festive celebration of the South for a Wednesday, at least, is here. I'm John Rawl, John Rawl, CSA Certified Southern American, the general of all things Southern is yours truly. And we've got this second hour coming at you with plenty of great information about the 16 Southern states. We've got to look at more headlines going on across the South here on this Wednesday. And we will be telling you about that. And some of those headlines include info on, we got two stories related to Martin Luther King that we'll be sharing as part of our headlines. Also, we got two stories connected to Walt Disney World. One is rather scary, and another one is a rather festive story about Disney that we'll be sharing. Plus, AMC Theaters. If you want to go to the theaters, AMC Theaters have a pretty good little deal going on right now. I'll have that here. Plus, some Bruce Willis news. Bruce in Alabama? What? I'll explain in our headlines across the South here today. We also have a Southern business report. Speaking of Hollywood, it's not just Bruce Willis coming to Alabama. St. Petersburg and Clearwater are getting lots of film action. I'll tell you exactly what's going on in that most beautiful portion of the Gulf Coast of of, of Florida, which is just, just booming right now. Almost every vacation spot, this isn't exactly an official report I'm telling you in our business stories today, but... Most of our vacation places right now are experiencing incredible numbers. Thank goodness. We are on the backside of this darn virus, and those tourism places which were hit on the chin last year, a lot of them, just like most of us, whether we're individuals and or businesses, we did get a little federal help, but most have been able to kind of get through the worst of times and Right now, a lot of places are having the best of times, and that is fantastic news. But at least in terms of films, some people are fed up with the Californias of the world, and they're making their way to states like Florida to do some production, and we'll tell you about that. Plus, Jerome is in the news. Jerome Powell. Do you all know who Jerome Powell is? He is the Federal Reserve Chairman, and he's in the news because he says that inflation rates rose and the coronavirus still poses a risk to the economy, according to Jerome Powell. I'll have info on that here on our business report of the South. Also, background checks blocking a record high 300,000 gun sales. We'll explain in our business coverage of this second hour. We also have a very special interview coming up with Kelly Lang. She's a songwriter, she's a singer, and she's a funny lady. She really is. She is a comedian. And Kelly Lang is going to be on later this hour to talk about her latest music effort. It's called Old Soul. She's just a classy lady. She has overcome breast cancer. And we're going to talk about that, how she's married to a fellow from Humboldt, Tennessee, named T.G. Shepard. And we'll and she's got some, I think she's going to say some really good things about her hubby. All that's coming up here later this hour. Kelly Lang in a great interview that we'll have. And before the hour is up, we've got a Southern book report. We'll look at the bestsellers at Amazon.com and Book World. All that here, hour two. If you want to get involved, 803 816 1170 is how you can get in touch 
with the y'all show back onto our headlines of the day what's going on across the southeast on this in most cases absolutely stunning beautiful gorgeous drop the favorite adjective out there that you've got about what's going on here today it is just fantastic and it is fantastic to be with y'all here on today's show back into the headlines and a kind of rehash of our stories our headlines from hour one the big story nationwide it looks like republicans have actually found a way to stop the democratic effort to pass for the people that would be federalizing elections around the country and essentially with the filibuster the republicans are not going to allow this thing to get voted on it appears it's an 888 page bill that's been presented to the u.s senate and mitch mcconnell the minority leader in the u.s senate he's kept his caucus together and it appears that the for the people act will not get a senate passage and it will crash and burn and there will not be a federal kind of looking over elections and that could be good news it could be really really good news now if you're a fan of this you're trying to push this thing because a lot of states many if not almost every southern state in recent months has been putting before their state legislatures measures in place to restrict how voting has happened and mail-in ballots a big kind of change in the recent year because of coronavirus and that had a dramatic effect on the 2020 presidential election without mail-in ballots i don't think you would have joe biden in office that's just my opinion but i think a lot of others feel that way and it's not the old mail-in ballots it's essentially a mail-in ballot done hastily the way they did it last year with coronavirus and and that differs from the old absentee ballot remember donald trump actually voted absentee so he's he says he is in favor of that and he should be that's how he voted course it's easy to vote absentee when you're the president in washington dc and your official residency is now in florida not exactly the easiest thing to just head on down to the polling place when you're president and and he didn't need to burn all that jet fuel likely getting down to florida although a lot of his critics would say well he would burn jet fuel just to go play a couple of rounds of golf and then would be right back in the white house I, I, i don't know about all that Maybe he was donating the money to go play golf. I, I doubt it, but it could be. But, yes, it looks like this measure to federalize elections, at least for now, has been blocked by Republicans in the United States Senate. In Mississippi, atheists are suing to remove the phrase, in God we trust, from the Magnolia State's license plates. Now, these license plates have been out a couple of years now, and this group now filing a lawsuit Tuesday for, to remove the country's motto in God we trust, which is not Mississippi's motto. And I should know it. Forgive me, Mississippians. I should know your Latin motto. It's not in God we trust. That's why when Mississippi passed a new state flag and it went into effect this year, it does not have the official Mississippi Latin phrase. I know it's veritas or something like that. Just give me a, a second here. I need to study up on my latin before i pull this up that's something i did not study i know a lot of people growing up had the option 
to take Latin classes in maybe high school, and I just didn't do that. And looking back, I probably should have taken it because this idiot here decided to take German. I was a part of the first German class in my high school, and I loved it. I'm a big fan of Germany. I just have a hard time with German, the language, and it kicked my butt in high school, and it doubly kicked my butt in college. I decided to take that as my language in college, and uh, let's just say it had a dramatic effect on my GPA, but I was stubborn, and I stuck through it, and jawohl, I passed German in college after lots of efforts, but my GPA really took a nosedive. It was... uh, Kind of speaking of German history, it kind of crashed like the Hindenburg after. Uh, by the way, I saw a dirigible Tuesday. I was driving down the highway, and I said, what in the world is that up in the sky? Am I, is this the big one coming to me? Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. I'm going down the highways, rural south, and I, I see something out in the sky that's bright and white, maybe kind of like a light, and it's around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and I just saw it floating up there maybe an angel looking down on me i'm driving 60 miles an hour on a two-lane road and i see this thing up in the sky and then i realized it was a dirigible aka a blimp but it wasn't a goodyear blimp and sure enough i don't know where it was going or where it was coming from but it was it was there and maybe it was at a nascar race recently uh, the golf tournament this past week was all the way in California. So I can't imagine a, a dirigible would have been able to get on over here to the south that quickly. But there's really not that much of a need, frankly, in my television production expertise. There isn't that much of a need for blimps in today's world when you can just go up there with a drone. In fact, speaking of the U.S. Open that was held this past weekend in golf out at Torrey Pines, they made a big deal, the television crew at one point, to talk about, look at these incredible drone shots that we are showing you. In fact, hey, by the way, drone man, why don't you tilt this thing real quick this way? And the guy, it took a couple of seconds, but sure enough, the drone operator followed the announcer's command. And how about that? I don't think Mr. Goodyear Blimp will be able to kind of tilt a certain way to get a certain camera angle at the request of Jim Nance or whoever does the NBC broadcast. But, all right, <clears throat> now, I get a, I get a little emotional when I start talking about dirigibles. Speaking of big fancy words, I now have Mississippi's motto. Mississippi's motto is Virtuit et armis. If you're a Latin speaker, you probably won't butcher that like I did. Virtuit et army and that means what does that mean virtuous i guess i guess that's the root word of vir- virtuous is virtute et army what in the world does that mean by virtue and arms there we go the motto of mississippi by virtue and arms but the latin is what they use how many people in mississippi know the latin for goodness sake why do they put that kind of thing in latin on their official motto and coat of arms but in god we trust is only license plate and the atheists of the magnolia state don't like it they're suing look out and that same phrase is now part of mississippi's state flag 
In Texas, a grand jury has come up with a decision. This grand jury has issued no indictments in a death case of a black inmate. In Collin County, Texas, this is McKinney, Texas, the jury declining to indict eight jailers over the in-custody death of this black man who died after struggling with detention officers. Marvin Scott III was the man who died in custody back in March, and now this grand jury found no probable cause to charge the eight jailers with a crime in connection with Mr. Scott's death, which was ruled a homicide back in April. A medical examiner found that Scott died of a, quote, fatal acute stress response while struggling with officers who were trying to detain him. Scott was arrested back in March at an outlet mall in Allen, Texas, on a charge of possessing less than two ounces of marijuana, and he ended up being taken to a hospital because he was reportedly acting erratically. He was released, and police took him to the county jail, where he was placed on a restraint bed, and then deputies ultimately using pepper spray covered his face with a spit mask, and he became unresponsive at some point and pronounced dead at the hospital. But again, in Collin County, Texas, this grand jury declining to indict the eight jailers over the in-custody death of this man in Texas. Now, there's a similar case right now going on in the Charleston County Jail in Charleston, South Carolina, where someone died recently there, and they are pressing charges. Or maybe the grand jury there has not ruled yet, but that, that case looks like it's going to be one to be on the lookout for going forward. The ex-wife of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassin has been arrested on animal cruelty charges. Anna Sandhu Ray booked into the Madison County Jail in Jackson, Tennessee, Monday on 44 counts of animal cruelty. Now, that alone is newsworthy to have someone booked in jail on 44 counts of animal cruelty. And from what I've heard from my sources in Jackson, it was a horrible case. It was the local television outlet there caught this thing, the home there of this woman and the animals. Animals found dead in the home. The officials, from what I gather, and a lot of this comes from our really, really inside reporter on the ground there in Madison County, Jimmy Duke. (laughs) Jimmy Duke was talking about this, and I heard him. And so there was a tip. The authorities went in to look for X amount of dogs and animals in this woman's house in Jackson, Tennessee. And they found lots more than they bargained for. They found dead animals. And they, it was just a horrible, horrible scene. And now the ex-wife of James Earl Ray, Anna Sanhu Ray, at age 74, booked into the Madison County Jail on 44 counts of animal cruelty case in this animal hoarding case from Madison County in Tennessee. An arrest warrant states that the dogs were covered in feces and parasites. They were eating their own feces and were now malnourished. The dogs transported to Lebanon, Tennessee, to the Animal Rescue Corps, where they will receive care. Again, this woman 
who was once married to James Earl Ray, the man who assassinated Dr. Martin Luther King in 1968. An unfortunate, horrible thing that this woman did. She married Ray, by the way, nearly 10 years after he allegedly killed. And I say allegedly because he swore that he did not kill Martin Luther King Jr. And even Coretta Scott King and other King family members have come out and said before they died that James Earl Ray did not shoot Martin Luther King Jr. It's a really weird case. (laughs) But this woman married James Earl Ray, I guess, when he was in prison. Married him in 1978. She filed for divorce from James Earl Ray in 1992. James Earl Ray, sentenced to 99 years in prison, died in April of 1998 at a hospital in Nashville as a result of liver disease and kidney failure. And now his ex-wife, going to be back in the Ray family tradition of going to jail after having all of these animals, unfortunately, under her care, and she did a horrible job there, and she's going to go to jail for a long time based on what these reports are out of Jackson and Madison County in Tennessee. The Martin Luther King estate has reached a publishing agreement with HarperCollins. The King estate announcing that they've returned the publishing rights to Dr. King's literary archive to his original publisher that was released by Eric Tidwell on Tuesday. He's the manager of Martin Luther King Jr.'s estate. As Tidwell added, Dr. King's prophetic message of peace, hope, love, and equality continue to impact the world today. The message is needed now more than ever. We look forward to utilizing HarperCollins' global footprint to continue the perpetuation perpetuation of Dr. King's wonderful legacy through new creative literary projects. The King estate actually themselves have been publishing since 2009 with Beacon Press, and that included King's very first work, Stride Toward Freedom, the account of the 55-56 Montgomery bus boycott. And now back signing a deal, and this release that I have don't it does not show the financial amount, but I would think it was probably a pretty good number that Martin Luther King's estate inking a deal with HarperCollins. We should have saved that story for our book stories of the day because we're going to have some book news that we'll pass along a little bit later in today's y'all show but hey congratulations harper collins getting mlk's work back in their purview walt disney world in florida says that they have removed 250 alligators since a young boy from the midwest was killed on the disney estate disney property several years ago walt disney has teamed up with local trappers in central florida to capture alligators After this deadly incident, the death of a two-year-old visiting Disney World several years back, you probably saw the unfortunate footage of this young man being dragged away by an alligator and being killed. Many of the alligators removed have been euthanized. It was back in 2016 that two-year-old Lane Thomas Graves was killed near the Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, and now... Walt Disney World has put up walls and put up warning signs around Disney World to warn everybody about the presence of alligators. And Disney's also teamed up with the FFWCC, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, to actively remove nuisance gators from this area. Trappers offered $30 per alligator 
I guess they got gators galore there at Disney World. But people, this is one area you don't want to see alligators when you're in Florida. If you want to see a gator, go to the swamp in uh, Gainesville there at Florida Field. But not here in Orlando. You're going there for a, a great time and not to see another incident of this 2016 killing of this two-year-old boy while visiting Disney. More Disney news. Did you realize that Disney World is getting ready to celebrate its 50th birthday? And I would sing happy birthday, but I don't want to pay the royalties. Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary party starts October 1st. October 1st, 1971, Walt Disney World in Orlando opened to guests. And now... Disney's vision of a magical dream of tourists coming in has been delighting people for 50 years. I do believe Disney World might be the number one tourist attraction in the world, I think. I need to Google that sometime, but it's certainly right there at the top in this country, if not number one, especially for kids, that is. But 50 years old, there's going to be a Disney fab 50 that's going to be a way for guests to interact when they get to disney world throughout this first year another special feature october 1st is the opening of remy's ratatouille adventure in epcot this ride takes guests into the flavorful world of disney and pixar's ratatouille and a new restaurant called le creperie de paris also debuts october 1st at epcot in orlando So congratulations to Disney World, 50 years strong, and they're ready to celebrate come October 1st when it turns the big 5-0. Makes you feel old, especially if you went to Disney World some 40 years ago to believe that it is now 50 years old. And, of course, Disneyland in California is a little bit older than Disney World, but a huge tourism draw for the South. People come from all over and Places a long way from Orlando, Florida, benefit from vacationers heading to the mouse. AMC Theaters offering all-you-can-eat popcorn for moviegoers during Cinema Week. If you live near an AMC theater, you have a chance to get free popcorn. The promotion started on Tuesday. It lasts through next Wednesday, June 30th. It's part of Cinema Week, an initiative launched to lure moviegoers back to theaters. And again... All you can eat popcorn at AMC Theaters. Don't go to a competitor and say, hey, I heard this guy, John, talking about I could get free popcorn. Hey, pony up, y'all. Let me get that with a lot of butter. No, it's got to be an AMC Theater. AMC saying guests who buy any size popcorn can enjoy free refills while they're at the theater. The deal is available to all customers at AMC locations nationwide. So you got to buy any size popcorn. Isn't that the deal they have anyway? Before pandemic, you have to pay like $30 for a drink and popcorn, but, oh, you could get refills. I, I'm i not sure if this is a, a good deal or not, y'all. At least it's not anything extraordinary based on the headline. You might want to look into it. Don't be surprised if they try to trick you, maybe, at the AMC theaters, and you might get a little bit of a deal, and that's good enough. Look, anytime you can get a deal at a movie theater, you better take it. That's why... Those of us who are a little bit careful with our budgets are more likely to show up at the matinees instead of that prime time viewing and spend $100 per ticket. And I'm not 
being truthful there, it's not quite a hundred. But it seems uh, it sure seems like it's about a hundred dollars when you go in there, especially if you got a date or a kid or somebody else going back to the theaters. And that is a wonderful thing that theaters are opening up. When we come back on the y'all show, we're going to open up and tell you a little business news from across the Southland. We'll have that. Speaking of movies, movies being made in Florida. I'll explain when the Y'all Show comes back. quick look at some southern business news here on the show all about the south and for a long time hollywood's filmmakers have come to the south to places like wilmington north carolina or throughout the state of georgia to do filming louisiana also has had lots of productions over the last 20 years now you're starting to see more and more filmmakers leave hollywood for various places in the south and that includes now st petersburg and clearwater florida as last month, Amazon Prime aired Life's Rewards. It is an eight-episode show based on a charming yet cavalier wealth manager who loses his money and uses travel rewards points to stay at places like the Don Caesar Hotel while rebuilding his life, and it was filmed in that area. Now, the interesting thing about this series, again, that you can go check out on Amazon Prime, each episode is only 8 to 14 minutes long, and was filmed using a local St. Pete area production company, director, and actors. The series cost roughly a million dollars to create with contributions from the city and state's tourism arm. So even better, Hollywood doesn't have to come to the South as much whenever you're able to do this kind of stuff on the ground and you get help from the city and state tourism office to create your own little series here. Eight, I mean, who doesn't have 8 to 14 minutes to watch an episode of life's rewards pretty neat stuff and yes we're still seeing production in other states like georgia north carolina louisiana and more tennessee lots of stuff going on in the volunteer state south carolina's had a very very big role with a lot of movies and tv shows and stuff but yes that is a unique concept that is being produced all entirely on the local side and it sounds like a pretty good little series don't you think jerome powell is the federal reserve chairman and he says the coronavirus still poses a risk to the, not your health, but also to the economy. And he's also lauding an economic recovery while acknowledging inflation rose notably. As he says, all of this is part of a House subcommittee that he was a part of on Tuesday. Jerome Powell, again, of the Fed, 
saying that while the labor market is still much improved from the depths of the spring of 2020, it is not yet where it should be. So not the best of news coming from the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, as he says inflation rose notably. Yeah, you think? Have you checked your 401ks and other stocks and things like that lately? Not not the best of news there. And part of the reason things are not going good is we got a labor crisis and a labor crisis is plaguing the restaurant industry big time. In California, restaurants that managed to survive the pandemic are now facing an even more bigger crisis, not having workers. And that is a case all around the South, not just in California. It's all around the country. And people are not showing up to work. People are taking, in some cases, those unemployment checks over Working. The National Restaurant Association has reported the eating and drinking industry shed two and a half million dollar of uh, two and a half million jobs in twenty twenty. Federal data shows nearly one point four million job openings in the restaurant and hotel sector just in April. So a extreme problem going on in the hotel restaurant arena and it's in most, frankly, most industries a shortage of help right now. Now, one other weird thing with the coronavirus is the automobile industry. And here's a story up by the Associated Press. Some used vehicles now cost more than the original sticker price. As high demand and low supply have driven up used vehicle prices so much that many are now selling, again, more than their original sticker price when they were actually new cars. Who in the world would have ever thought that? When it was new, for example, they're using an example of a 2019 Toyota Tacoma SR double cab pickup. When it was new, it was listed for just under $29,000. Now, two years later, this 2019 Toyota Tacoma SR double cab pickup, dealers are now paying almost $1,000 more than that to buy the same vehicle, even though it's a used, used truck. And then they're selling it to the customers, to the consumers of the world for 33000 You knew the dealership was going to make money on this thing, of course. Gosh, that is – I mean, has this ever happened that two-year-old cars – and we're not talking about luxury cars here or something that Elvis drove around in. They're selling for more. Also, a story, background checks have blocked a record high – 300,000 sales of guns. As records show, the number of people stopped buying guns through the U.S. background check system hit an all-time high, again, of more than 300,000 last year. And that was during this coronavirus-infused surge of people wanting to buy firearms around the country. And that, a number, I mean, how about 300 people being denied a chance as background checks blocking that many people from getting a gun sale. The FBI shows a background check blocked nearly twice as many gun sales in 2020 as the year before, and about 42% of those denials were because the would-be buyers had felony convictions on their records. Hey, if you got a felon, you probably don't need to go try to buy a handgun or some other kind of gun. So that is fascinating information to share that that many gun sales denied because of background checks. At least it looks like the FBI's system seems to be working pretty well, but a lot of people in 2020 and even here this year want those guns. They want protection, and it is a scary world out there, and 
hear the FBI denying a bunch of people their right to bear arms. When we come back, the Y'all Show is going to have a special guest, Kelly Lang. She's a singer, songwriter, and a comedian. And she's going to be on to talk about old soul. We're going to have a good conversation with Kelly. That's up next. You're going to enjoy here on Talk with a Southern Accent. South, and right now on the program that covers all things Southern with your host, John Rawl, we're going to go to what I call a double dipper, as this young lady grew up partially in Oklahoma before getting to the volunteer state of Tennessee. She's a singer, and she's double dipping in that regards in music. She's a singer and a songwriter, and she's a funny lady too, a comedian, and she's on with us right now to talk about her very dynamic career and so much more about what's going on in her life these days. She's got new music out. Everybody make welcome here to the Y'all Show, Kelly Lang, an Oklahoman turned Tennessean. <laughs> hey, John, how are you? I'm good. Did I do a good enough job of setting you up of what, you, uh, what you've what you been doing all these years? You need to follow me around everywhere. My goodness, that was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, well, how about that? Born, I think, in Oklahoma City. Is that, did I get that right? I was. I was born in Oklahoma City, and I ended up moving to Hendersonville, Tennessee, when Conway Twitty, who my dad worked for, decided to bring his whole organization over from Oklahoma to to the Tennessee area for his career, and uh, it ended up being a wonderful, positive move for my career as well. And you just mentioned a place called Hendersonville, Tennessee, and Conway Twitty, and let me take this moment to remind some of y'all out there, Hendersonville, Tennessee, home of Twitty City. Oh, yes. Have you ever been? <laughs> I did. I got to see Conway there, and I didn't realize that he was even going to be performing there. And oh, what? A, and I, I grew up as a kid, a lover of country music. You know what, Kelly? I still love country music, and what, what a great treat. In fact, I don't know if it was that concert or a concert by a guy named John Schneider that ended up being my very first concert as a, as a little wee one. You know, um, were you at Music Village? Music, I don't know what that was. Music what was Village mu- is the theater right across from, from Twitty City. 
It's like the theater there on the property at Twitty City. It, and um, I was the opening act for John Schneider in that theater is why I was wondering if I might have no, back then. I saw John Schneider at the South Carolina State Fair circa 1985. Oh. But oh. somewhere along those lines, I saw Conway Twitty at whatever the big theater that Conway would have been performing there at Twitty City. Oh, yeah, that was Music Village. It was a wonderful, wonderful place. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you how many people played there and how many times I opened for artists there. It was a wonderful gig just down the road. And just down the road from there also, and I only bring it up since we're talking about music venues in old Nashville, and I hate to say it, but just down the road from Hendersonville, you got to cross over that Cumberland River. you got a place that used to be called Opryland, and the Opryland theme park. Did you perform there at all? Oh, a lot. I figured you did. A lot. Not as a regular, but I would go in and do uh, special performances there. And, of course, Nashville Network was based right there, too. So I did a lot. I worked for the Nashville Network. That's why I was wondering. I've seen you on some old Ralph Emery-type footage, but I wasn't sure if you were a featured performer. (laughs) I did Ralph Emery morning show for seven years, on and off. You know, Well, actually, Mm. more than that, but continually for seven years and then graduated doing music village or music city tonight and all of the national network programs after that. Yeah. So I've had, I've had a quite of an experience either in Hendersonville or in the Opryland area, a lot of memories. <laughs> now also, because you said you moved into Hendersonville, what, what age were you when you moved there to that part of Sumner County? I had to have been probably six or seven years old. I, I remember it I was see. like, I think it was 76, I think, when we moved there. But most of all, your education was there in Hendersonville. Oh, yes. All my education was here in Hendersonville. I graduated from Hendersonville High School. And uh, Taylor Swift calls the same. (laughs) I know. And that's why I wanted to ask you, because there were some other ladies around your same age, Dina Carter, Myla Mason, and I believe Matresa Berg also went there. Am I right on all that? Yeah, they were all a few years older than me. I think uh, I think Dina had graduated from Goodlettsville, which is oh, just did down the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry but, about uh, that. Yeah, y'all probably was, fought over the same guys back then. No, like I said, she was she was a few years older than me, so I didn't know her <laughs> until later on after everybody had already graduated and got past their high school crushes. <laughs> ah. Everybody, we're talking here today with a Tennessee lady, and she's just got so much stuff going on. And don't think that you haven't seen the last of what Kelly Lane's got to offer, because you threw me a curveball. I knew about you being a singer and a songwriter, but there's this whole comedian thing. How in the world did that get started? And and give me a little, maybe a little preview of what you do there in your act. Well, um, years ago, Lori Morgan and I were writing her whole album called I Walk Alone. And um, we were talking about certain fans that were coming through during fanfare that seemed to know her more than they did. And they never really did. They got her songs wrong or her name wrong or, you know, but they're very adamant. And a lot of them are, you know, singers that are aspiring singers, too. And so we were kind of teasing about that. So I came to the next writing session dressed like a crazy um, stalker kind of person that would be a fan of hers. And we just kind of came up with some silly lines about who this character would be. And then I took it a whole nother step further and gave her a whole background storyline. And, and <laughs> just she ended up, I played Zanies in Nashville and I uh, did Governor Huckabee show a couple of times as this character and opened up Lori's show and TG Shepard's show and it's it was it's just been a fun thing for me and I didn't intend for it to be anything but 
just a silly little thing. But we've yeah. got videos with this character on YouTube with like Ricky Skaggs and William Lee Golden and Scott Hamilton. And it's, it's, it's been taken up a notch and <laughs> it's, it's taken on a life of its own. And I didn't even mean to do it. But in hindsight, it was at a time, uh, XOXO is her name. You can go to XOXOCountry.com and check her more out. But um, it, it was developed at a time that I was going through a health crisis. And I think a lot of the, the humor really helped heal me. And I think if people could choose to choose a, a laughter and a happy time, I mean, in a sad times, it could be a, a real transition for you. And you, you, you know, you've chronicled on your website more some of the health problems that you've had to go through. Are you doing okay now? I am. I'm 16 years out now, almost 17. And uh, I am I'm so excited to be able to share with everyone a song that I wrote that many years ago, right before I was diagnosed. The song is called I'm Not Going Anywhere. And that was picked up this last year as a national commercial for Ascension Hospitals. And it is really, um, a, it's been a nice platform for me to be able to go back and talk about my breast cancer surviving so many years with the help of that particular hospital. And you know, the song has resonated in so many ways with people that had to leave their loved ones in the hospital or nursing homes or things like that, giving them comfort. And, and it really, it translates to so many different situations. And so many people have said they've used it at a wedding or a funeral even. And um, it's kind of encompassed so many different situations. They're comparing it to uh, Debbie Boone's You Light Up My Life, which how flattering for me, you know, to hear that and have so many wonderful comments that people have written to me saying that, that my music has made a big difference in their lives. So having gone through breast cancer, um, it's been, it sound, sounded like a horrible event at the time, which it was. I would never want to go back through it again. But I promised God that if he would allow me to get through that, I would try my hardest to use whatever opportunity I had to be kind of a ray of light for others um, going through that. And I'm trying to hold up to my end of the bargain and and do the same for others because I didn't have anyone to really communicate with. At 36, I didn't know anybody that was going through that. Mm. And, you know, so it's 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 been a pleasure for me to, to be able to use whatever talents that I have to make a difference in someone's life. Well, please don't take this the wrong way because I don't want that fellow from Humboldt, Tennessee coming after me, but you look fantastic. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. I've been in the pool today. so I'm just, <laughs> I'm like, That might be the secret right there, but yes, you look fantastic. And now roughly 15, 16 years past that crisis in your life and that's what we all hope for every time someone is diagnosed with breast cancer, that they get through it as easy as possible and life goes on. And as your song said, uh-huh. it basically, it ain't over. So that's it great. Ain't over. You know, uh, a slogan that I have accompanied or, you know, taken into my own life is, um, you know, some people look at a death can I mean, a cancer diagnosis as a death sentence and, Mine was pretty rough. I'm not going to lie, but I chose to change my way of thinking as not a death sentence, but it chose to be my life sentence. And um, I've learned to grow, live much bolder and more appreciatively. And my life has just really grown, and and it's it's made me a more empathetic person mm-hmm. and an understanding person. And I really wouldn't take anything for the lessons that I learned from that experience. 
How can people find that song from some 15 years ago? Because I've seen it in that commercial. Where where can people listen to it and maybe, like you said, add it to something special going on in their life? Well, um, you can get the album, the physical album of that uh, on kellylang.net. And I've re-recorded it to the actual commercial version of that um, on an EP. It's called I'm Not Going Anywhere. Mm-hmm. And... On this new EP is is the orchestrated version, a piano version, and also the story behind the song of how I wrote that. And if you wanted a full album that it originally came out on 16 years ago on the website, on kellylang.net, you can get it on the album called 1111. Ah. And you'll be able to hear other things that I've written on there, too. All right. Well, that's good music. All Kelly Lang music's good music. But we, Kelly have got to talk about some new music from you, including that right there, Old Soul, the latest release. It just came out in the fall, and you've had two singles from that, including Drive and Every Breath You Take. And because of the new album, because of all the excitement, Kelly, I should have prefaced this when we brought you on here, you're a darn Hall of Famer now. (laughs) I am. Can you believe that? (laughs) Yeah, you feel like an old soul with a Hall of Fame? Yes, you're in the Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame, the OKC native honored in her native Sooner State. What a thrill. You know, I I will admit to you, it's been surreal because of the pandemic. I haven't had an opportunity to really go there and and accept, you know, that award in real life. And I hope to be able to do that this next year. But, you know, being an Okie girl, I have just, I have such roots there. I have lots of family still left there. I get to go back a couple of times a year and um, to be nominated or inducted into that is, it's really humbling because I've been gone from there, you know, for such a long time for them to reach back and, and acknowledge what I do is of any importance at all is, it's a thrill. I, mm-hmm. I didn't expect that to come. And um, any award you know, anytime you're acknowledged for something like that, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, this, speaking of this album, I'm in the process of doing old soul version two, because I didn't get a chance to get to all of the songs that I just absolutely loved. We crammed this one full of 14 songs and it's all classic old vintage songs that everybody hears in the grocery stores all the time. Anyway, they're not necessarily country, but me being an Okie girl, it kind of puts an Okie country spin on them. Um, but we're, we're in the process of doing, you know, three or four songs into the, the second album as well. So this one's done great for me, and I'm excited. Oh, by the way, you can see the uh, full music video of I'm Not Going Anywhere on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. Oh, and when you great. get there, click subscribe. That's good. That's good to know. Again, kellylang.net is her website, and that should link you over to the YouTube page and everything else she's got social media-wise. And you in the studio, nice photo we're looking at of you working, I guess, or it, we'll just say you're working. This might be a stage photo. Regardless, I know you worked hard when you're in that studio recording great songs like Drive. Well, thank you. That is, that's an old classic song by The Cars. And uh, we put our own spin on that. And it, that has done surprisingly really well. You can see the lyric video on our YouTube channel to Drive. And uh, it's it's been really cool going back to do uh, songs that are predominantly done by a, a lot of men. And then you put a female vocal on it, and it really changes the whole dynamic of the song sometimes. Who is your favorite? I'm putting you on the spot here. Who is your favorite male singer, country singer? 
hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello, I'm well, not familiar with hello. You talking about like fair and young, hello walls? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> well, I, I have to say, obviously, because I'm married to a wonderful um, vocalist, T.G. Shepard. Um, he's my favorite human being on earth as well. Ah. But you know, if I was going to say um, favorite country singer of all times, um, I mean, Conway was, Conway Twitty was the first one I ever heard, the first one I ever knew, and he's the reason that I sang, and I've got to give him kudos as well. well very good choice. Your favorite Conway Twitty song. I can tell you real quick, I love Goodbye Time. Oh, and yeah. My last conversation with Conway at his house in Nashville, um, I'd brought him a song that a friend of mine had written. I said, Conway, this song is so good. He goes, oh, it's wonderful, but I just finished my album. I would have cut that song if you'd tell me otherwise, you know. And, of course, we know how that ended up. He, uh, Was that Final yeah, Touches? Yes. The uh-huh. Final Touches album? Um, but I love Goodbye Time, and I was able to share that with him. And uh, my favorite thing he said, because, you know, I, I was around him since I was one year old up until he passed. And although he knew I sang, he never really acknowledged Cause I wasn't writing and I wasn't really, I was an opening act for a lot of different people at the time. And he knew that I did, but he never said anything to me about it until the day, the last day that I had a conversation with him. And he said, Kelly, thank you for bringing me this song. You're the only other entertainer that's ever provided me a song. I'm always giving songs to other artists. And I thought, Yay! <laughs> <laughs> for him to, to say that was very special. Kelly, I can't believe you didn't tell us that Redneck and Ma- Love Making Night was <laughs> nice. your favorite Conway Twitty song, but nope, I digress. And, and that and uh, Boogie, Grass Band, yeah. nah, those weren't my favorites. <laughs> I see. What's your favorite T.G. Shepard song? Oh, Coming Back for More. I mm. love that song. I think it's great. I'm more of the war, war as Hell is more of my favorite, but that, you know. They're all good. Conway, TG, all those guys. Good music. Kelly Lang, good music. We're talking with her here on today's Y'all Show with John Rawl, talk with a Southern accent. And we've been talking about the music. What about the songwriting? Where do you stand with your songwriting career? Wow. Well, <laughs> I so I go through phases. And yeah. I love to write only when I'm inspired. You know, like those are the times when I wake up in the middle of the night and I go, <gasps> I hear a melody or I hear, you know, I see lyrics or something. Those are my favorite. Um, However, I'm in the process of writing a new song called Life Sentence. It's a conversation we were just having with uh, the legendary songwriter Bruce Birch. He wrote It's Your Call. Mm -hmm. He wrote uh, Wine Into Water. Um, Great writer. So he and I are writing together. And it's a little more difficult for me to write when I, although it's my, my idea originally, when you write it with somebody else, you have to really um, make sure the other writer is happy and make sure the melody works with them. So it's a little more difficult over Zoom to do something like that. So that's been taking me a little longer. But, you know, I, I, I'm i in the process of writing my first book. And that has been a challenge. It takes a lot of mental space and a lot of alone time to be able to do that. And that's kind of, I wish I'd started it earlier in the pandemic because I could have probably had it done by now. But um, it's very cathartic for me to be able to go back and revisit things in my life and, and have a different perspective on them the more mature we get. 
Kelly, do you have children? Yes. Okay. I have two older daughters. Um, one is just now, she'll be 30 in September, and my youngest one's 25, and they're both married. My 25-year-old just got married about a month ago, and uh, so we're, who are empty nesters. Yay! <laughs> Now, do you and do you have those with? Are those TG? Is he the father? No, no they're from a previous marriage. Okay, but he raised them since they were five and nine. So Is that right? Bad, yes. And you've been married to TG since what year? Since two thousand seven, but we've been together almost twenty one years. Man, we dated for a really long time. Congratulations! That's not an easy thing to do. Any marriage is not easy to get that. Uh, all those years under your belt and for you both being in the entertainment business, a double at a girl for you. Well, you know what? A lot of people say marriages work, but we haven't felt that. We, we truly like each other and we have fun together and we look for excuses to take romantic trips together. And uh, we're trying to plan one now, as a matter of fact, Um, I guess if you were to look at marriage altogether, it's, it's a challenge, but we have so much in common and we, we really support one another's dreams and we understand exactly what the other one's feeling when something is created or something is, um, you know, when he gets off the road and I, maybe I wasn't with him or something, I understand where he was performing and what he was playing and, and vice versa, you know, so we have that to, we have that in common. And some, sometimes um, if you don't have that much in common, I guess it could be a challenge. But for us, it's been just nothing but but it's not perfect in any way. But it's it's not been a job, I should say. It's been fun. And as you said, a real key ingredient in a marriage and a relationship is to actually like each other. Oh, my gosh. He's my favorite person on earth. And I, favorite I human like being. Don't demote him. He's the favorite human favorite, being. He is my favorite human being. I've never met anybody that, that eases my soul nearly as much as he does me. He's incredible. Well, we're glad the two of you now all these years under your belt and new music as well under your belt. By the way, we better ask about his current music status. Is he touring? Has he got new music out? He is touring. As a matter of fact, we've been doing a lot of concerts together in Texas. He seems like we should buy a house in Texas more than Tennessee. But um, he, he's he got an album out now. It's a first original album he's had in 22 years. And I'm so excited for him because he's done duets albums with Willie and George and mm-hmm. you know Merle and all of that throughout the past. But for him to really go back in the studio and do one album that he's recorded all together... Um, and I was really excited to be able to write a few songs on that for him. And I think that's encouraged him to, to you know, get back in and do some stuff. And um, a song that he has getting ready to come out is a song I wrote about him. And it's called Good Man. And that should be out in the fall. We're really excited about that one because it's, it's an up-tempo. It's kind of a fun thing, but it's how I feel about him. I want the world to know really what he's like at home. He's just a really good person. And I'm excited to share that with everyone. Again, Kelly's husband is T.G. Shepherd, country music great. And as we wrap up with Kelly, I want to remind everybody that the brand new album out from her that you can check out is called Old Soul. There it is right there. Awesome photography, great music. Again, you can go on here and find songs that you'll just absolutely fall in love with, including Drive and Every Breath You Take. Is that the, the classic Every Breath You Take? 
Yes, it's the Sting version. And you know what? A funny side note. Guess who took the photo? Don't tell me. A guy named T.G. Shepard. Nope. You did. No, Conway Twitty's grandson. Oh, is that right? Yes. Michael Jenkins took that picture. He's an incredible photographer, and I just I want to give him high five. Is he based in the Nashville area? He is, yes. Okay. He's an amazing photographer. We love him. Well, I like what he's doing there. Of course, he had an easy subject to take, it, it looks like, there in that photo. Oh. <laughs> I don't think you gave him too much of a hard time, did you? That was the the I think that was the third picture that he shot that day. So we, we took a lot, but that's the one we ended up with. Well, you, you knew what he knew what he was looking for and you definitely gave him a great subject to shoot. Kelly, thank you very much for coming on today's y'all show and talking about old soul, your music, your your ways of showing up and making people laugh with XOXO. KellyLang.net is the website for y'all to go to and learn much more about this OKC turned Hendersonville, Tennessean. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your time so much, and, and I look forward to talking with you again. We will definitely make time to do that. And y'all, you and TG, have a great rest of your day and week. Y'all too. All right. Kelly Lang, everybody. Well, that will wrap up here our conversation on the Y'all Show with this extremely talented Southerner. We will have more of the show that covers all things Southern when we come back here on Talk with a Southern Accent. You're listening and watching Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Again, I want to thank Kelly Lang for being on with us here in this second hour of the Y'all Show. We're going to wrap up things here with a quick look at some of the bestsellers on Amazon.com's book list. Matthew McConaughey and Greenlights is atop the most sold nonfiction category. Bill Clinton and James Patterson in the most sold fiction category with The President's Daughter. And that is on the Amazon.com list. Barack Obama, I guess if you're famous, you get on the Amazon chart. Barack Obama's A Promised Land is atop the most read nonfiction category on Amazon's list right now. And the most read fiction is Project Hail Mary, and that is out from Andy Weir. That's a quick look at the Amazon chart of the top 20 most sold and most read books of the week. It is McConaughey, Clinton, Obama, and Andy Weir the big sellers we've got another hour our final hour of this wednesday y'all show it is queued up and coming at you next stay where you are Hey, we're back. It's y'all. Our website is yall.com. Y'all is the South's homepage. I'm General John Rawl here with you for this final hour of this Wednesday, y'all. Oh, it's just looking so good out there across the Southeast today. We've got this Claudette behind us, the killer storm that it was. And right now, 
looks like we're shaping up for a good end of the month of June and the 4th of July now less than two weeks away. Yeah, it's coming, y'all. Better get your fireworks and better get your plans together for the nation's birthday here in just a couple of days. We've got a excitement, almost like a kind of birthday party, a actual early start to the 4th of July planned here for this final hour of the Thursday Y'all Show. We have a look at Southern Sports to start off this hour. And then, thanks to WFLA.com, we've got the least patriotic states in the country. And if WFLA is the one putting this out, there's a high probability that the Sunshine State might be one of the least patriotic states in the country oh let's hope not but we also know the most patriotic states so perhaps florida or your state is right there waving the red white and blue as we get ready for the fourth of july in a couple of days we've got all that plus more headlines coming in from the region all that here on talk with a southern accent if you want to be involved it is so easy to be involved with y'all show we've got a telephone number you can text this number you can call this number and lines are open. We are here to take your calls and texts today, 803-816-1170. And if you are not getting us right now, if you are, if you think you're listening to the podcast edition, you are welcome to call or text that number anytime at 803-816-1170. And speaking of the podcast way of getting this show, you can find the Y'all Show podcast at y'all.com. Big, bright, red and white box at the homepage at the top. They're called Y'all Show. You just click on that little rascal, and right there you'll find not only the audio podcast of the show, you will see yours truly doing a lot of video interviews. Some of those video interviews are featured here as part of the Y'all Show, and it's a free way to connect. Get get in touch with your inner southern by going to y'all.com and checking out all these great interviews. And if you are already kind of into a podcast platform that you like, you can find Y'all Show featured on Apple Podcasts. It is on the Stitcher app. It is in the iHeartRadio app. Y'all Show is also in the TuneIn radio app. So we make it extremely easy for you to keep up with what's going on across the southeast and all you got to do is look for y'all show and we're right there and it's absolutely free and the neat thing is all of these different ways of listening to the podcast in case you aren't able to hear it live on your favorite radio station or you are listening to it right now but mother nature's calling and you got to slip away for a few minutes and you don't want to miss a single segment of this show like our great interview we just had in hour two with singer songwriter and comedian kelly lang that's what the podcast is there for we make it available for you to go back and go back in time and listen to the show all about the south so thank you for all of you who listen to us on radio stations but thank you to those who make a daily effort to listen to the podcast edition and if you like what you hear again hit us up at 803-816-1170 or drop us an email and that is easy to do as well. It's mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all dot com. Let's kick off this hour of coverage of all things Southern with the latest information coming in from the world of sports. And the big story nationwide on Tuesday was the NBA playoffs and the great win at the buzzer 
by the Phoenix Suns. They escaped the valley with a whoo, an alley-oop walk-off win, 104-103 over the Clippers. The Phoenix Suns take the 2-0 series lead in the Western Conference Finals after defeating the Big City Clips by one at the buzzer in Game 2. And some of the Suns players walked off in stitches. They were having a good time with that one. And the Clippers, who thought they maybe had uh, knotted this thing up at a game apiece, go back to Los Angeles with their tail tucked beneath their posterior. The series now looking very favorable for the Valley to the Phoenix Suns way after they get the big, big victory. The Detroit Pistons in the news for positive reasons, as the Pistons have won the top pick in the 2021 NBA Draft Lottery. The Houston Rockets are your number two pick, followed by Cleveland and then Toronto. So it's Pistons, Rockets, Cavaliers, Raptors, one through four. Then the rest of the top ten in the NBA lottery, number five is Orlando. Sixth pick is Oklahoma City. Seventh is the Golden State Warriors, which gets Minnesota's uh, selection in this, followed by Orlando again which gets Chicago's selection, then Sacramento, Sacramento, then the New Orleans Pelicans. And that is the draft order for the lottery now that it's been established. The Detroit Pistons with the top pick in the draft lottery on Tuesday, and they will have a chance to be a game changer if they can get a player to come into the Motor City and do the kind of job we've seen some of these recent rookies do. Most notably, we've seen Zion. Zion, I'm, I think the jury's still out on the New Orleans Pelican star who came to New Orleans from his college days for the Duke Blue Devils. I know he's had injury issues, but he hasn't necessarily gone to the level most people thought he would as he gets ready to enter, what, his third season in the NBA in this forthcoming season. And he's no LeBron. He's no LeBron. He's no MJ at this point. I'm not even sure he's a Danny Ainge at this point. <laughs> Danny Ainge, the player. But he will, a lot of eyes on him. In fact, the franchise, the city of New Orleans, not the train, but the actual city, a lot of their hopes rest on him now that they sent another popular player, a former Wildcat, pack into the L.A. Lakers. Zion, it's his team. And New Orleans may not be able to survive as an NBA franchise. There's already talk about them possibly moving away to other cities in the country, cities like Seattle. I've even seen Vancouver as a possible landing spot. Vancouver did a horrible job with the Vancouver Grizzlies. They left that town after six or seven years. I don't think they deserve another NBA team north of the border, at least not there. Maybe put it at Niagara Falls. Now, that'd be a good place to have an NBA franchise right there on the border, right near Buffalo. I don't know why Buffalo's had teams in the past. In fact, Buffalo was once the home of the Buffalo Braves, which are now the L.A. Clippers. But the Pistons, with a rare positive story coming forward on Tuesday with the NBA's draft lottery number one spot. Way to go. A look at the Major League Baseball standings. We're getting closer and closer to the midway point of the 21 season. And if you look at it, there are some really competitive battles going on in a lot of the divisions. The Red Sox have eked their way to be the leaders of the AL East. 
as they have a 44 wins versus 29 losses statistical breakdown for Beantown. And right now they are on a winning streak of one, so they haven't really been tearing up lately. And they're in the catbird seat because the Tampa Tampa Bay Rays Rays are on a seven-game losing streak, and the Rays have fallen out of first, and now they're in second place in the AL East. The Yankees are 38-34, and and they are just above 500, but nestled about midway through the AL East standings. The Jays are at 36-35. and The Orioles continue to have struggles on the baseball diamond. The O's are 23-50 and with a 315 winning percentage that's not good no matter if you can do math or not a 315 winning percentage will not get you to any kind of postseason play and the Orioles are headed back to the offseason without any postseason life the Chicago White Sox what a great job Tony La has done on the south side and the Sacks are in command of the AL Central with a 43 and 30 record now the Indians are nipping on their heels as the Tribe at 40-31 and 31 are two games back of the Sox right now. Royals are 33-38, and 38, followed by the Twins, and the Detroit Tigers are in the bottom of the AL Central. The AL West features the Houston Astros. They've climbed the top of the AL West. The Strohs at 45-28 and 28 have a one-game lead over the Oakland A's. The Mariners are sandwiched in between the AL West division with a 39 and 36 record. The Angels are right at a 500 level with 36 and 37, the current mark. And those Texas Rangers are struggling. Rangers right now are 19 games back of the division leading Astros. The Rangers are 26 and 47 in their brand new ballpark out in Arlington. To the NL East, this one's kind of topsy-turvy. And right now, the New York Metropolitans have the lead in the NL East. They sit atop it with a 37-31 and 31 mark. The Atlanta Braves, who currently are taking on the Metropolitans, the Braves are four games back of the Mets right now with a 35-37 and 37 mark. The Phillies are also four games back, and so are the Washington Nationals. So it's a pretty evenly contested NL East division. Even the Marlins of Miami are just a handful of games behind those three as the Marlins are eight games back currently of the New York Mets in the NL East to the NL Central, and it's dead even atop that division. The Brewers and Cubs sit atop the record with their record at 41-33. and 33. The Reds, who've been really on a tear lately, the Reds are 36-36, and 36, and where I'm from, that's called a 500 winning percentage. They're four games back currently of the Brewers and Cubs. The Cardinals have been losing of late. The Cards with a 36-37 and 37 record. That's four and a half games back of the Brewers and the Northsiders. And then the Pirates, they're having a tough time this year. Again, Pirates, the Bucks are 26-45, and 13-and-a-half back in the NL Central. And to the West, that's where some of the best baseball has been played this year. And the Giants right now have a three-game margin in front of the Dodgers and a four-and-a-half game margin in front of the Padres as San Francisco, the Giants with a 47-26 and 26 record, the G- Dodgers 44-29, and the Pods with a 44-32 record. The Rockies and Diamondbacks pull up the rear of the NL West. That's a quick look at the standings. Again, most of these teams are about 10 games shy of hitting the halfway mark of this 2021 season. Then you'll have an all-star game 
set for sometime in July. More professional sports news and former Archbishop, Archbishop uh, some kind of Archbishop Newman, maybe? Does that sound right? Archbishop Newman alumnus. I know he's a University of Mississippi alumnus, and he's a New York football Giants alumnus. Eli Manning is rejoining the Giants in business operations and will also have a fan engagement role with New York's NFC franchise. As he's officially back with the Giants in this role, he will also work on original content development, and that includes developing a lifestyle series that premieres in the fall. The 40-year-old Young Manning, young compared to Peyton and Cooper, he retired after the 2019 season following a franchise record 16 seasons as New York's quarterback. And it is easy to forget because Eli Manning, even though he's a Manning, wasn't necessarily ever as close to being the media darling that his older brother Peyton has been. And so even though he was in the nation's media capital of New York, Eli Manning in many ways could have been in your face and in every commercial just like Peyton seems to have been in throughout his career. And I thought Eli Manning upon retirement was going to go back to Oxford, hang out, go to Sunday school with his kid, that he and I both attended the same Sunday school. The last time I saw him, he actually held the door open for me. That's pretty nice. Thanks, Eli. But it looks like he wants to stay in the New York area, at least in a somewhat regular role. He's going to likely bounce back and forth between the metropolis of Oxford and the little tiny city known as New York City. But the 40-year-old QB is taking on this role. He said in a statement, I'm willing to do anything. I'm focused on the business side with the corporate partners and on community relations, which was always so important to me while I was playing here, as in New York. And it's something I placed a high priority on throughout my life. I'm looking forward to seeing where I can make the most impact in helping the Giants achieve their business and community goals. How about Eli Manning, perhaps, going one day into a front office role, sort of like what we've seen John Elway do with the Denver Broncos, or the Giants, not the Giants, the San Francisco 49ers have John, whatever his last name is, former defensive player for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's the sort of GM for the 49ers. How about Eli Manning kind of getting not into a coaching role, but maybe a, a leadership role? Heck, and with the Manning's money, there's not totally an impossible possibility that one day the Mannings could own an NFL franchise. I know they'd probably have to bring in partners, but how about that happening one day? We see that in the NBA. Michael Jordan owns an NBA franchise, and I would put the Manning family combined with Eli and Peyton and their dad, a guy named Archie, as the first family of the NFL, and you got to have a lot more money to have an NFL franchise compared to an NBA franchise. And, you know, when you put them all together, it's feasible, and the NFL would probably like this, to have the Mannings have their own franchise. I know I'm getting way ahead, but that is the path that it looks like this family is going to. 
I don't think they can take over ownership of the Giants because of the Giants' long history of having very wealthy owners. But there's some other NFL teams out there that probably could use an infusion of quality ownership, not just the money. Money's good, but these guys, the Mannings and maybe even Olivia could step in and help out the mama and the wife and make an NFL franchise. They need to take over the New York Jets is what needs to happen. I know they've got the Johnson family that owns them, but the Jets, if they were owned by the Manning family, I think would be making a dramatic improvement. Although maybe Eli's love of the New York football Giants, a franchise that's going to retire his number 10, by the way, don't want him coaching down the hall for the lowly Jets. <laughs> to college news and former Texas A&M football coach R.C. Slocum has been diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma. The 76-year-old coach went 123-47-2 in his 14 seasons skippering the Aggies from 1989 to 2002. R.C. Slocum is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame he currently serves as a member of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee and now fighting a battle with Hodgkin lymphoma. We wish Coach Slocum all the best. Aggie fans will always cherish his days coaching the Ags as a member of the Southwest Conference, then followed by the Big 12 years of his tenure as head coach of Texas A&M. And I guess if he coached to 2002, I'm trying to remember if you go back and a&M football history. I believe he must have been followed by Francione. Was it Francione? I need to... Sorry, Aggie fans. For most people outside of Aggieland, we haven't necessarily been memorizing A&M's football coaches. And somewhere along the line, you had some forgettable coaches. I, I do, I do remember, though... The very brief time that Francione – okay, let's go back in time. That was not the page that I wanted to go here. Okay, list of Texas A&M head football coaches starting in 1894 when good old F. Dudley Perkins was coaching the team to a 2-1 and record back in 1894. We'll skip forward many, many years, of course. Don't want to leave out back in the uh, 1950s a guy named – Paul Bear Bryant coaching A&M from 54 to 57. He actually lost. I didn't realize this. He lost a fair amount of games there, even though he was this supposed to be remarkable coach in college football. I think his record at A&M was 25 and 14 and two ties. Had some good players, though. Now, in recent years, A&M had Jackie Sherrill, 82 to 88. And then they bring in R.C. Slocum, 89 to 2002. Fran as I mentioned before, or he, he went to A&M after he was at Alabama. That's right. 2003 to 2007, Francione, he left, he left Alabama from what I remember. He left on his own to go to be A&M's head coach. Then they had Mike Sherman. That's right. Mike Sherman coached them, was a 500 coach in the 2008 to 2011 time period. He was followed by Kevin Sumlin. Sumlin and Johnny Manziel with that remarkable first year as a member of the SEC. The Aggies 65 and 44 under him. Then Jimbo Fisher has taken over and 
Aggie football in 2020 was right on the cusp of getting into the college football playoff as Fisher's got this program headed for sure in the right direction. College baseball today on the College Baseball Diamond. It's going to be just one game play today, one game on Thursday. Today's game features an elimination game, the Stanford Cardinal and the Vanderbilt Commodores getting together. This is a 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Omaha time, first pitch between the, the tree and the Music City Boys, the Vandy Boys, ESPN broadcasting this brainiac battle of the College Baseball World Series. Game nine, winner keeps hanging out in Omaha. The the loser, it's either back to Palo Alto or it's back to Davidson County, Tennessee, if you lose this one. So as a Southern show, Vandy, we're rooting for you. Stick around if you don't mind. You're defending national champion of college baseball. On Thursday, there's going to be just one game played Thursday. That's going to be Texas and Virginia in an elimination game. That one also set for a 7 Eastern, 6 o'clock start on ESPN 2 Thursday between the Big 12 Horns and the ACC Hoos. Horns and Hoos Thursday. And the reason those two teams are playing is because Virginia just barely lost to Mississippi State on Tuesday. MSU is solidly on the road to playing in the College World Series finals. And MSU does not have to play again until Friday. They get to sit back and take on the winner of Texas-Virginia Thursday, and then they get to play on Friday, the winner of that one between the Hoos and the Horns. And then Friday, just in case you're wondering, the game set NC State's going to be playing at 2 Eastern, 1 Central, with a chance to win that one and advance to the College Baseball World Series Finals. And then MSU plays that evening, Friday evening, against the winner of the Game 10 going on this week. So college baseball big time going on at the College Baseball World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We will take a break, come back. And we've got a listing of the least patriotic states in the country. We'll also tell you a few of the most patriotic states, but we're going to have fun picking on the, oh, the ones that don't love that red, white, and blue. How in the world is that possible here in the good old U.S. of A.? How is that possible here in the good old South? I'll explain. That's coming up, plus more headlines on the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent. If the nation had a fight song, an official fight song, I'm voting for this one right here. Is this song not awesome? John Philip Sousa stars and stripes forever. You're going to hear this a little bit more as we inch our way to the 4th of July. But that one right there just puts a little warm feeling in my heart 
and it gets me fired up too. So this song, Double Duty, you get passionate about where you are and then you just want to go out and maybe get in a football game and tear somebody up when it especially gets to that. And I have to turn that. I feel rather patriotic, don't y'all? Well, welcome back into y'all. And we have a story up at WFLA.com that I'm going to talk about right here. Here's that part. Hmm. Woo. All right. This story up at FLA.com is Florida is the second least patriotic state in the country, according to the Wallet Hub story. One state, and it's not a southern state, thankfully, ranked lower than the Sunshine State when it came to patriotism. How, Florida, is this possible? The survey ranked each state's level of patriotism on five categories. The number of military enlistees from a state, the veterans per capita, Peace Corps volunteers per capita, percent of adults who voted in the 2020 presidential election. I'm looking at you, Florida. And also, how many people do volunteer work? The survey ranks were scaled from 1 to 50 with separate numbers for military engagement and civic engagement. We have a listing of the least patriotic states in the country. We also will tell you the most patriotic states in the country. And Lord knows, hopefully a lot of them are going to be southern. But I'll tell you right now, the number one most patriotic state in the country from this Wallet Hub survey is Montana. The red, white, and blue shines brightly in Montana. That's, according to this, the most patriotic state in the land with a 61.91 percentage overall grade on the patriotism scale. Congratulations, Montana. Number two, Alaska. Maryland. Represent. Maryland comes in third as the most patriotic state in the country, and that is the highest-ranking southern state on this list. The other states in this, at least in the top ten, Vermont. Come on, Vermont. Vermont's not even really American, frankly. <laughs> Woo, I just made everybody in Vermont mad at me. I mean, they're kind of Canada light, in my uh, opinion. New Hampshire is fifth on this list. North Dakota, six. Wyoming, seven. Minnesota is eight. Oregon, nine. Virginia checks in at number 10. Now, Virginia, of course, with all of the naval bases around Norfolk, I understand how they could end up on the most patriotic list at number 10. Other southern states that are at least leaning more patriotic than less patriotic. Kentucky is the 17th most patriotic state in the country, according to Wallet Hub. Missouri is 18th. South Carolina, home of Fort Jackson, home of Paris Island, home of the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina, home of a lot of voters. Remember, you had to vote in 2020 to get a high score here, and South Carolinians care about their politics. That's why the Palmetto State is number 19. Hawaii, just want to throw that out there. Hawaii checks in at number 23. Ohio is 24. North Carolina, you're 50-50, baby. North Carolina is the 25th most patriotic, or either they're 25th on the least patriotic scale of our states, according to Wallet Hub. The state of Georgia, obviously, Georgia's got lots of great military bases, Fort Benning, Fort Stewart, and 
a slight naval presence, I think, around the St. Mary's River. But Georgia, because we know about their elections and people weren't necessarily turning out like they should have at the 2020 election, Georgia, you're sitting there at 29. Now, Tennessee's 30th. There's no reason Tennessee should be the 30th most patriotic state in the land. Come on, Vols. Let's get it together. You're 30, according to Wallahub, on the most patriotic list. Oklahoma is 32. Alabama is 34th, or you could say the 16th less on the scale of less patriotism. The heart of Dixie finds itself at that spot. Louisiana is checking in at 37 on this list. Mississippi is 40th, and Mississippi kind of has had a bad deal when it comes to the nation's military. There's not a large military presence in terms of bases, Air Force bases. There's a there's one or two. There's a CB base in Mississippi. There's no huge Army presence. Now, they do have Camp Shelby, but it's not anything like Fort Benning or Fort Bragg or any of those other huge Army bases. Sorry, Mississippi, because of that, you're checking in at 40. Texas, surprisingly, is 41st, so they're down toward the bottom of the patriotism scale. West Virginia is at 42. Arkansas at 43 on the Wallet Hub breakdown of the patriotic states in the country. So we'll get to the bottom five. The fifth from the bottom on patriotism is California. That does not surprise me. Also is Michigan at 47, 48, Connecticut. So you're next to the last state on patriotism. This is the second least patriotic state in the country, Florida. Florida got a 23.17 rating from WalletHub on this breakdown of patriotism. And your least patriotic state in all of America. Congratulations, Governor Cuomo. Your empire state of New York is the least patriotic state in the country. Again, according to WalletHub, go to their website, walletHub.com, and learn more on this survey of patriotism, which looked at the number of military enlistees, the veterans per capita, Peace Corps volunteers per capita, the percent of adults who voted in the 2020 presidential election, and also how many people do volunteer work. So you might have a state that you think is wonderful, but if you're not out there volunteering, you're not voting, you don't have people going over and serving in the Peace Corps, you did not score very high on this Wallet Hub survey. Some interesting stuff to share with you here on the Y'all Show and all of our Florida residents. The challenge is there. The gauntlet's been laid down from Wallet Hub. Get your red, white, and blue together and get ready to celebrate the nation's independence. And maybe, just maybe, you might be able to bounce off the mat and end up a little closer to the top of the most. You'll go from the least to the most patriotic state in the country if you can do all of that. <laughs> We've got more headlines from across the South. We've got some developing stories from the U.S. Supreme Court that I'll get to, updates from the High Court. That's coming up, plus more headlines around the country. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Mr. Sousa, or General Sousa, I'm not exactly sure what his military title was. Take it away, fellas.
Just a couple of minutes left here on this third hour of the Y'all Show, and we'll be getting out of here in just a few minutes. But want to bring you up to speed on some developing stories here on this Wednesday. Just announced from Washington, D.C. today, the Supreme Court ruling that police cannot enter a home without a warrant when pursuing someone for a minor crime. By a largely unanimous vote, the high court declaring that police violated the rights of a California man by pursuing him into his garage for allegedly playing loud music while driving down a deserted two-lane highway late at night. In a majority ruling, Justice Elena Kagan said that the police had no right to enter the man's home without a warrant for such a trivial offense. That is, again, out today. Supreme Court restricting police powers to enter a home without a warrant. That is just one of the brand new cases and the issues going on in the Supreme Court right now as rulings coming out this time of year from the high court. Also today, the Supreme Court siding with a former cheerleader who excoriated her school in a profanity-laced post on social media and the Supreme Court siding with the cheerleader holding that the punishment of her off-campus speech violated the First Amendment by an 8-to-1 ruling It left unresolved the broader question of when schools may regulate off-campus speech, but when such punishment is off-limits remains a question. Associate Justice Breyer, writing for the majority, saying, It might be tempting to dismiss the student's words as unworthy of the robust First Amendment protections discussed herein, but sometimes it is necessary to protect the superfluous in order to preserve the necessary. Clarence Thomas wrote the dissenting opinion on this. But again, this is, a, I think, a Snapchat. This young lady, 14-year-old Brandy Levy, had a profanity-laced Snapchat post. And that thing ended up going before the Supreme Court in the most significant case on student speech in 50 years. And again, today, the Supreme Court sides with this teenage cheerleader who wrote profane social media posts that slammed her school. Oh, if the youngsters of today weren't empowered enough, now the Supreme Court's telling them, y'all just have at it. Go for it. And let her rip. At least that's kind of what this sounds like. i got to find out where Brandy Levy is from. I remember the story coming out a few years ago, and now the Supreme Court ruling today that she is protected on this free speech argument before she's a Pennsylvania high school student expressed her dismay on Snapchat over not making the varsity cheerleading team. Oh my goodness. What in the world could she have possibly said on that? These are some of the Supreme court decisions again, coming out today. It's, it's always late June when the Supreme court just starts releasing all these cases and, The reporters scramble to rush to be the first to report on the Supreme Court's decision, and they usually have a big stack of papers that get blown away when they're rushing out to get to the cameras. To my knowledge, we're not sitting here today or this summer really holding our breath on some enormous decision. The cases before the Supreme Court now, in my opinion, don't quite equal what we've seen in the last 10 years even The gay marriage decision, that was a big decision. And I remember very, very vividly people just rushing to go get to the cameras on that decision. And it's just an important part of our government 
is that legislative, executive, and judicial branch. It's that judicial branch that we're spotlighting here on today's y'all show. Now let's talk about the legislative branch again, if you don't mind, as we have more headlines. This is not coming from the federal government. This is coming from the, the, the Republic of Texas, the Lone Star State now is what it's called. And the legislature in Austin, they got some heavy-hitting business they're handling there in Austin, Texas these days. The Texas legislature has designated the official state mushroom of Texas. Now, the funny thing is it's likely only a few hundred people have actually ever seen the state's rare state mushroom, according to scientists. But get ready, because Texans, you can be proud. You have an official mushroom after Governor Greg Abbott signed a resolution to make Texas's official mushroom. Texas now joins only two other states, Minnesota and Oregon, who have officially declared a state mushroom. And Texas, what is your state mushroom? I know you're waiting. I'm going to have to go back to my Latin because the name of the star-shaped mushroom that Texas now has as official state mushroom is Chorioactus geester. It grows in 16 counties across central and northern Texas as well as parts of Oklahoma. And it only is in those portions of Texas. In fact, Chorioactus geester, this mushroom, has only been seen in one other country much less state it's only been seen in one other country and that would be japan the mushroom appears in late fall and emerges as a dark brown fuzzy capsule that is three to four inches in length inspiring a nickname and that's where most people in texas know this thing from the devil's cigar and it's extremely rare to see and it's now Light up one, fellows. The Devil's Cigar is now Texas's official state mushroom. And it kind of does look a lot like a cigar, even though it's a mushroom. And it's in very, very small areas of Texas. It's a rare state mushroom. Congratulations, Texas. I didn't think you could pull through and get this passed, and you did. Your official state mushroom, everybody. Now let's go to Alabama. Bruce Willis filming a movie thriller and the heart of Dixie, the 66-year-old acting legend filming a movie called Die Like Lovers. And if you are in Alabama here this time of year and you think you saw a guy down at the gas station getting him something to drink or maybe a lottery ticket, well, not in Alabama. They don't have a lottery in Alabama. My apologies, Alabama. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't have one. But they don't. Yeah, it is possibly Bruce Willis. The movie is based on Jesse Atlas's short film from 2017 called Let Them Die Like Lovers about a body-hopping assassin who starts to question her identity and the morality of her violent assignments. And filming is underway in Alabama. I'm trying to get you exactly where you just might end up running into Bruce. It looks like primary filming locations for this will be in the Birmingham area. Other details not quite available. Die Like Lovers. And Bruce Willis 
is in the heart of Dixie for this. Recent casting calls for background actors and stand-ins for Die Like Lovers were posted on Facebook by someone named or an agency known as Goldman, G-O-L-E, Goldman Casting. The notices said work in various categories was available this week up until Friday. Called for background actors who would play diner customers and members of a black ops team. Ooh, I've always wanted to be a black ops guy, and I can go do it. And Die Like Lovers, the latest in a long line of movie projects for Bruce Willis. The actor has been in more than a dozen films He's got more than a dozen films currently in the pipeline, according to IDMB, and those films in pre- or post-production. I'm not blaming him. A lot of those movies got shelved, or parts of them in production got shelved because of the pandemic of 2020. Of course, Bruce Willis, known for his roles in Die Hard, Pulp Fiction, Sin City, Unbreakable, and more. And, of course, on TV, he first kind of got famous because he was on Moonlighting, which ran from 85 to 89 opposite of Memphis native and Memphis State University alumni Sybil Shepherd, Bruce Willis, filming in the South. And that is a quick look at headlines here at the Y'all Show. We'll wrap up this third and final hour. After the break, stay tuned. This is Y'all. A well-written song there from Pam Tillis. Going to wrap up this final hour of y'all for this Wednesday. And speaking of great songwriting and music, want to thank again our hour two guest Kelly Lang was on today's y'all show. If you missed that, please do us a big favor and go to our podcast options at y'all.com. Look for the y'all show right there. We also are on podcast form in the iHeartRadio app, also the TuneIn app the Stitcher app, 
and Apple Podcasts. It's free of charge. You can hit the button and share it. A very inspirational interview we did with Oklahoma City native and Hendersonville, Tennessee raised Kelly Lang, wife of Humboldt native T.G. Shepard. Great interview. Thank you again, Kelly, for helping us with that fantastic interview. We've got more excitement coming up on Thursday. We've got more good music interviews coming up. We've got dub-winning contemporary Christian act, We the Kingdom. Going to talk to this five-member group, which has roots in Charlotte, North Carolina. They've called the Nashville area home for quite some time. And it is a great, great group. Again, a dub-winning contemporary Christian act, We the Kingdom. They will be on the Thursday Y'all Show. Plus, we'll have other great news, including an SEC report. Is the SEC going to come bouncing back and maybe put a team in the college baseball national championship finals? All that will be covered on Thursday, y'all. John Rawl signing off. Thank y'all for being a part of the fun. Let's, why don't we just do this again tomorrow? We will. Thank you for listening. Yeah.